welcome everybody. My name is Maureen Antunes. Welcome to episode 300 of After the Credits. It has been a hot minute since we recorded one of these shows, and I am very pleased to be back with some old friends. Guys, please introduce yourselves. Yeah, we got the band back together. This is Andrew James. <laughs> and I'm Kurt Halfyard. Uh, this is like, if you get John, well, both Johns together, we've got a full OG row three um, thing, but we'll take three out of five. It's not bad. Thanks for having me on your uh, milestone episode, Marina. Well, you know, it was this kind of started very, uh, let's just get together and do something. And literally, I just looked before we started. I was like, holy shit, it's episode 300. So it is a bit of milestone. So, hey, here we are. So we thought we would get together and chit chat a little bit about 2022 in film. And let's like, jump right in I, there's no real uh guide to this conversation other than just just shooting the shit about movies for a while but i think it started kind of uh interestingly enough behind the scenes we were talking about stuff that we've watched and how much stuff we've watched and kurt you were saying that you've probably seen the least number of movies of all of us i would i would say not objectively but in a in the sense that going to the theater to watch a movie that could in theory be in the wider conversation. If the wider conversation outside of maybe three movies this year even exists anymore, like so Top Gun, Avatar, I don't know, The Whale, The Fablemans, like uh, uh, th- everything, those are... every, everything everywhere. Oh, sorry, right. everything and 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 RRR, I guess. Uh, but there hasn't been that. Or maybe I'm just in different corners of the internet. Um, I just feel I, I'm still very heavy on the festival circuit. I see movies in festivals and rep cinemas. And occasionally I will venture into a... Uh, it's not a snob thing. It's just um, it's just complicated. Movie going is, has diversified to the point of... I remember I, the, the argument about is David Lynch's Twin Peaks The Return television or a movie, it seems so quaint now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like That was a national, at least in film nerd circles, conversation in 2017. And, and I'm like, there's movies, complicated movies like White Noise and Glass Onion and the Matilda musical that I'm like, I'm not even sure because they played here theatrically, but they also feel like they're streaming only they're paid for by streaming services they're not even acquired titles they're financed by netflix and yet here there's a couple cinemas that will give them theatrical releases so yeah i'm i I think the more interesting conversation of 2022 isn't covid because we had that conversation for two years and while the theaters were mostly back to normal the most interesting conversation is how the hell do you watch movies like you not the collective view, like you, Marina, and you, Andrew, how do you watch movies in 2022? Like, do you have a ritual or is it just like on your phone while you're in bed? Like, I'm not really sure what the rules are anymore. I'm I'm, I'm still fully in the watching a movie on your phone is not the way to go. But it's funny because I'll watch TV on my phone, but I won't watch a movie on my phone. I don't know why. It's just this mental thing. But Andrew, on your phone, your phone is like a computer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My new foldable. It's like just ginormous. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't. I don't watch it that way either. I, I will watch a movie in bed, like on a on a laptop or whatever. But yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed is I I don't really go to the theater anymore because why? 
Um, now, 10 years ago, my ten, uh, myself, my 35-year-old self would beat the shit out of me for saying something like that. But but it's true. Like, I've got, I mean, this isn't everybody doesn't have the resources. But, you know, I've got a 75-inch OLED TV with Atmos sound and a quiet room. I can start the movie when I want to. Uh, I, you know, on my schedule, it's free. I can bring in my own snacks. I have my big, huge chair. There's nobody next to me who smells or is on their phone or making noise or whatever. Like everything's on my terms and it's great. Um, like it's, it's better. It's, it's, it's objectively, my screen is objectively better than most of the theaters around here. I mean, the theaters are bigger, but that's it. And I have a story about Top Gun that I'll tell in a little while. But do you feel that that the technology just like in in the affordable sense, like there's always the CES level technology, but like the technology in the affordable, I'm a middle class person, I want to drop some coin on a television. That 75 inches now is kind of like the median television. It's not even huge anymore. Like you can get not 96, 100 now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like, do you feel 22 was the year that? that that just became like out of inertia rather than like a stretch aspirational. I think it's way more complicated than that too, though. I think the pandemic really played a role in amping up how we consume media and the the change in how we consume media. Cause I mean, the reality of it is for me, at least I was always before the pandemic, I was always kind of on the cusp of, I want to go to the movies, but the movie I want to see isn't available to stream anywhere. So I don't have a choice. I have to go to the movie theaters to see it but I hate the movie theaters because I hate people. Like I love people. Don't get me wrong. I hate fellow movie watchers because they're terrible. They're on their phone. They talk too much. Like Andrew says, they take your elbow room. Like even in the fanciest, fanciest theater where I literally have one person next to me, my partner, like there's always some idiot with a phone that they didn't silence or checking their texts. And I'm always going to see that light. It was never like, a great experience to begin with and tickets were already expensive. Like you were already paying 15, 16, $17 to go to a movie. Now that price has like doubled. I legitimately went to a regular movie, just like a regular projection. It cost me $40 for two tickets. It was like, when did this happen? Like, and that wasn't like IMAX or Atmos or any premium. No, that was like a regular landmark cinema Mind you, they all their screens have reclining seats. Oh, I see. So they've just gone the like everything is premium route, yeah, and they will just it raise the price. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? For this, this is why I only like it's gotten to the point now where I go to movies for like the spectacle. Like, give me the Top Guns, the Batman's, like the big blockbusters in IMAX, or you know, I'll, I'll and Andrew, we can talk about Top Gun, but like the other great film experience I had this year was watching Avatar. And the only reason I went was because it was a special screening for VS members. It was in high frame rate. I don't usually see 3D, but I'm like, this is how Cameron intended it to be seen. So that's what I'm going to do. And it was followed by a Q&A with a director. I was like, oh, I've got to go to that. And it was legitimately the best experience I've had in a the theater all year. But then there were only like 40 people there. Really? Even for a special event like that? Well, because it was invite only. Oh, it was invite. Okay. If, so if it was yeah. open to the public, I would never have gone. I see. Because they do that here all the time. They'll mix like a word of mouth with press, with whatever. And uh, those screenings, 
part of the design of those screenings is to fill every seat to maximize the energy in the room. Now, two of us are in Canada. One are one of uh, us are in the in the U.S. Uh, are you stuck with only Cineplex as your? Do you have uh, are there other chains in in the West? Landmark, that's it. Landmark and Cineplex. Cin- yeah, Cin- Cineplex and Landmark. Is there an appreciable difference between the way they give you a movie in the theater? You know, actually, there. I think there is. The Landmark Cinema tends to be a bit smaller. Like the venues themselves are smaller, so the theaters are smaller, and they have literally upgraded all of their screens to have reclining seats. So you don't have a choice. Like you basically you sit in a pod with somebody else. If it's a sold out screening or you you buy a ticket for your partner or whatever. Um, the only real upgrades that they've done over the course of the pandemic is they've upgraded a lot of their um, uh, projectors to uh, digital. Like uh, I don't I don't exactly remember laser digital. Yeah, just just one particular tier, whether it's. The IMAX digital or the Christie or exactly. So it's they they did that upgrade in some of their theaters and they've upgraded certain seating in their theaters to make them even more fancy. But beyond that, nothing. And Landmark and Cineplex literally has done zero. In yeah, well, that's that's the part. that's the bar they set for themselves. I, I I'm just happy a year that Cineplex doesn't regress in some way, shape, or form. I mean, that's part of the reason uh, why. I haven't seen a lot of stuff this year because I will go see it if it drops into alternative screens. Like I, I unfortunately did miss Top Gun because it did play in the proper 10 story IMAX theater for several weeks. I just happened to be out of the country at the time. Uh, but normally I'll like I'll see that sort of like the Tenet Maverick uh, whatever screening at at a we have three real IMAX theaters like big, big IMAX, not Limax. And so the and then the rest of them I just wait until they drop into the into the second tier because the second tier cinema has just it's just a better experience uh, and I and I don't feel the projection level for the corporate cinemas and the projection like gear wise is all that distinguishable anymore digital's digital um right so why not go to a theater where the people are nice and they care about the thing and the audience members that are aware of these theaters are already self-filtered outside of all of the complaint. It's not to say that things can't happen. Um, but I think the odds of things happening are less. Now, that being said, I still did venture in. And so Andrew, you, you didn't go at all like for nothing. No, no, I've, I went to a few, I went to the avatar for the exact same reasons Marina did. I went to top gun. Uh, I had, I went to the Fablemans in the theater, you know, because I just felt like, that's what this movie is about. I got to go see it in a movie theater. Um, but, and, and you also alluded to the fact that we just have more choice at home now, like stuff, something like Banshees of inner Sharon, like it was in the theater for like a week and then it was on HBO. So like, why, why am I going to get in my car, drive 10 miles at on the time that they say sit through all these fucking trailers, sorry, these stupid trailers, all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> when I can just plop down in my seat and watch it at home, in we're old. Really good quality is, is what I'm what I'm hearing here. <laughs> well, it is. It's I, that's part of it, but it's part of it's it's just better than it was in 1987 or 1994. It was not better. It, like objectively, was not better to watch Matrix on my 4.3. No matter how big the TV was, it was still at best DVD quality, 720 or 4. 
80 or whatever on a, you know, it just wasn't there. It's here now. My theater is in my room, essentially. I'm six feet away, so the screen is just as big or appears just as big. So, and I just have options. Like, I've got Shutter, and there's so much stuff on there from this year. Like, there's right. 2022 Really legit, movies great new movies here. <clears throat> on Shutter, on HBO, saying... on Netflix, on Amazon, on Hulu. Like, there's good, con- it's not just crap. You're saying watching the widescreen letterboxed VHS of Blade Runner on a 13 inch TV <laughs> is not the way to go. <laughs> I've had Laser that disc. experience. Let's stick it back. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I must admit though, I, maybe I'm just a curmudgeon, but because it's hard to see it is the reason why I go, I, I'm like that guy. Uh, so like, you, you know, I could see this, on it's streaming right now, but oh, they're playing it at this one only one screening at one time in one theater, and uh, yada yada yada. Okay, I'll drive forty minutes uh, and and watch it with uh, that audience as opposed to because I mean a lot of the movies I haven't seen are the ones that are like you mentioned Banshees. I haven't seen um, White Noise yet. Uh, there's a few of them because they're just streaming, and even though it's right at my fingertips, I don't think to do it i i i got clearly i have to get over that i i don't i don't have any rational i have no rational reason it's not there's no rational reason because you do have a projector in your house i do I, yeah i mean i'm even watching it reflected rather than refreshed i guess if if you wanted to use that very complicated technical argument of how your brain processes scan lines versus refresh and whatever uh but uh no i just i don't know why i i don't know why because i, I guess because i feel because it's always there i can just get to it later whereas if there's something like even when i used to use netflix a lot five or six years ago there used to be a website that would would say like what's leaving this week that that's how i filtered all the content on netflix to watch oh it's gonna go okay i better watch it now <laughs> so but you know if you get something like uh, glass onion or white noise uh, it's never going like that's their content. The only way for it to go is for Netflix to go. And while there are inklings that their business model is not the best shape at the moment, uh, it that's going to be a long, slow bleed out if if it, if Netflix or Prime or I mean, I doubt Apple or or Amazon will ever lose their streaming services because they're like rounding errors. <laughs> Netflix is all in, right? Yeah, so. that's their model. Like they have no other backup plan. But I've heard like the, the smaller niche ones like AMC, which which owns Shutter, uh, they're they're struggling. Uh, I mean, they're whether it's their television content or their film content, but it really doesn't matter, does it? Because if it's all in the one place, and this was my original thought when we decided to get together and do this, is like if it's all in the one place, like how do we even distinguish things anymore? And should we? Like, I, is there a point? Like, what? I guess one of the, the the chief questions I have is, is this conversation even worth having? <laughs> you know, not what's the answer or where do you stand or or whatever. Is it even a fight or is it just like the water is going to go over the waterfall? There's nothing you can do about it. I think that started happening a long time ago, though. I mean, even before um, the pandemic, like the conversation around prestige TV, when that kind of became a thing really, I think, changed the direction of the conversation. And honestly, I've gotten to the point now where I think it's like a, a, a convergence of things. There's 
the fact that everything is basically, a, not everything, but relatively speaking, most stuff is available on streaming at some point, if not immediately. So it's easy to get to. Then there's this thing that there's a lot to get to, be it a movie, a TV series. And the conversation when Prestige TV started emerging was, you know, is this like a movie? And we were like, well, do we fucking care? It's entertainment. What does it matter? And I think that line is blurred even more now. I mean, I look at like something like, I I mean, I don't know, like under the banner of heaven. And I just bring that up because I literally just finished it. And it's like a limited run series. It's, I don't know, like eight episodes. It's basically a long movie. I mean, I, I basically watched it in two parts in eight over the course of two days in four hour blocks. So it, it, I could have watched it sitting in one sitting if I really, really felt the need to. I mean, it's as much of a movie as far as I'm concerned as anything else I saw this year that was two and a half hours long, three when, hours long. When Netflix bought Gangs of Wasipur, the the Indian uh, gangster film, uh, they cut it into nine, rather than two three-hour movies, they cut it into nine 45-minute episodes and said, I know you won't watch two three-hour movies, but why don't you binge nine episodes? Uh, <laughs> you're right. It's the same runtime. Yeah. It's the same runtime. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, the way that the conversation around this stuff happens now is quite different as well. I mean, let's be honest, when we were at row three, we were kind of like, there weren't, there were starting to be a lot more, but there weren't a lot of movie blogs and movie websites. And by the time we finished 10 years later, they were bloody everywhere. Everybody fucking had a blog somewhere well, where they were spewing stuff. Or a I think the death for me was Letterboxd. I know people love Letterboxd. Yeah. And Letterboxd even, this is how tiny they were uh, at one point. They reached out to us about uh, collaboration back when it was just like one guy in his basement or whatever coding it. And I feel, you know, Facebook and social media were already a thing. So I feel a lot of the commentary and discussion was being diffused amongst your friends and then throw in like slack and other like discord uh and other elements and then letterbox which is uh you know my daughter even uses letterbox so uh right as a diary but um it's also public so but that's the thing you just nailed it though she uses it as a diary so like the type of conversations we're having about this content is my, much different like i've basically given up on twitter i just can't fucking be bothered because I can't track a conversation worth my life. And I use Letterboxd the same way, basically like as a tracking diary for myself. Like there were times, like there was six months out of the year where I was literally keeping a note on my phone when I watched something. And then I dumped it into Letterboxd. Oh, nice. Like, yeah. October because right, right. I needed but you're, a list. You're, this is the equivalent of taking like little notes and then you just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I, I, I like, I pay for the pro. I like to see the year in review, but I need to put the data in for it to do that, right? <laughs> But literally for six months, it was just on my phone, like just a little a, a Google keep note of what I watched in the day that I watched it. That was it. So, you know, if I really still liked it, by the time I pumped it into Letterboxd, it got a little snippet of a review, but barely like my conversations about movies and TV now are literally with my family because my parents now have Netflix and they're watching shit. And it's interesting to see what my dad watches because he watches a lot of weird stuff. And, you know, my friends and I still do a podcast, which I like to do because basically I just like to shoot the shit. Like at this point, nobody, I'm not, nobody's listening to me. Nobody fucking cares, but I care because I just like having the conversation. And as far as, uh, as far as letterbox goes, well, first of all, one thing, 
Mitchell Bupree, who used to write for Row 3, he's he works for Letterboxd. Like, he's an actual employee there. Anyway, I've, over the last year, even the last just six months, I've realized how great of a tool Letterboxd is. So it always was a diary for me the same way. I, like, I just, it's, it's just easy to keep track of stuff. I write some notes. Usually they're just for myself. So at the end of the year, when we do this podcast, I can look at my notes and go, oh, yeah, that's what I didn't like about this or whatever. Anyway, the sorting tools that Letterbox has now um, is amazing. Like you can just search for all the movies in 2022 that are dramas that uh, and, and then you can filter it by your rating, average rating, your friend's rating, or you can fade out the ones you haven't seen. You can say, I want all the movies from 2017, 2018, and 1983. Um, which of those, in all of those years, what was directed by Paul Schrader that I haven't seen? And it'll tell you. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I wish we really, had that really when we nice. were doing our 1984 project for Row 3. Yeah, that, would have, that would have been handy. Uh, um, and then you can like filter out the ones that are only showing on Amazon or oh, here's right. all the ones that so are on tied Netflix. into the, 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 or what here's it, what all the, the ones that are on the services that you subscribe mm. to. Uh, like wow. it's, it's, and then they're all, and here's the comedies in that list. So you could just keep filtering it down. To so really the it. next level is just having letterbox watch it for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me what, to <laughs> why think. don't you watch it for me? Give me the five minute pricey. No, I do. I, I will say like, I, I, I've only started to notice about the whole letterbox sorting and like, the power that it has Andrew, you're totally right i just hadn't really realized it before but the one thing that i still find is i still watch shit that's not on letterboxd and i for the life of me i haven't quite figured out how to add material to it so i just can't be bothered oh i don't do that either if it's not on letterboxd first of all that's pretty rare i don't know what you're watching that's not on like that's we, i watch movie. a lot of animation dude like okay. i watched 194 movies last year according to letterboxd and that's pretty much everything but I must have watched another 200 animated films. Most of them are not on. I don't even. Know. Oh, okay. Interesting. That never happens to me. I imagine. I watch a lot of obscure, stuff. obscure shit. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. You can add them. You add them to the movie database, not the internet movie database, the movie database. And then it pulls it in. Yeah. Um, and then back to your TV thing. I got a couple points about that uh, on the letterbox side of that. Sometimes they're on there and sometimes they're not. I just sort of decide not to log them. I write them in my year end list. I wrote, here's all the TV shows I finished. And yes, it's sometimes difficult to discern what's a TV show. Like I watched Pam and Tommy. That's you can log that on letterbox. That's a TV show though, in my opinion. Um, so I didn't log it that way. I just wrote it in my notes. Um, so I think that's just up to viewers. And then the second comment I had about that was when I'm out and about, or even with friends and I'm listening to other conversations, it's almost always not about movies anymore. It's about, Oh, are you watching this show? Are you watching that show? Um, my cat's eating my plant. No, get down. Um, they're always talking about what show they're watching almost always. Um, so I, that's interesting because on a lot of levels, the episodic, I'm not into these things that are nine seasons long or whatever, but these eight hour things are really good. A lot of these TV shows um, on the streaming services, right, are are directed by 
film directors like Takashi Mike has a TV show on there. Nicholas Winding Refn has a TV show. Olivia Sayas on there. Uh, Corieta has a TV show. I mean, I don't know how you find this stuff. Like the algorithm sucks at feeding me. Because stuff. you're not using it. Enough. I know I'm not That's using it. Enough. I gotta, <laughs> you got to train it for it to train you. I get it. Um, but yeah. So when I log in, it just fires whatever, like they have a standard boilerplate that seems to be independent of your own personal data. They're like, look, we, we spent a lot of money for a glass onion sequel or an Adam Sandler movie or whatever, we're going to let you know about it. Uh, and yeah, so, the, the, well, that's the, you know, I think that's why they introduced that top 10 TV shows and top like Netflix specifically. I don't know about the rest, but. So it's you know, independent of your data. It's just, yeah, it's uh, totally independent of your data. It's like, here's the shit that we've added. Cause I mean, yeah. it's funny to log into randomly into Netflix and see like what the top 10 stuff is, because if it's a movie, like half of, especially around Christmas, half of the movies on that top 10, we're old movies, like shit that was like five, 10, 17 years right, old. Right. That just because they what just you added felt, it. Yeah, they just added it. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, I I I felt when we were running a website that I I could go toe to toe with any movie nerd and media file on the planet. Um clearly I feel uh a little further down the track these days. No question, whatever the average number of television shows and movies that the average Canadian or American consumes, I'm probably well above the median number, but uh, in terms of like, I don't watch a lot of shows. Like I just don't watch a lot of shows at all, partly for runtime, partly because it seems that they've gone back to the model where they release them weekly again, instead of dropping them all at once. I like the drop them all at once model. Um, And partly because I just, I don't know my as good as it is I will not debate the quality of 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 television and I'm certainly not going to debate the volume uh but I just it's a choice paralysis for me I'm Jeremy Renner in the in the cereal aisle with this stuff uh, I I there's too much so I just I just sit there and have a mental breakdown um like give me three wires I'll I'll cut one but that's I I don't feel that is the same way in the cinema right there's a there is a a small palette. Yeah, there's a rhythm of things coming and going. There's a small palette or whatever. But television stuff is just, wow, it's one hell of a fire hose of content. I mean, and again, that seems like the dumbest thing to complain about because, you know, in, in 1981, you, you know, it was, you know, Family Feud or Scarecrow and Mrs. King, and, you know, Airwolf, you know, like those few choices. Hunter, right? Hunter. Yeah, Hunter. I, the ex-football players on TV was a thing. Um, but uh, uh, but now it, it's and, and, and what's even more amusing um, is you'll have two people like in a living room with their own devices they may even be watching the same thing but they're watching them on their own devices which i i i mean okay does does emma join you uh when you set up your big oled tv and 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 hang out on the couch or does she like i'm out for this one i'm out for that one or i'm most of the time she's out but sunday nights we sit down together and watch something that we both decide to like we keep a little list and then yeah yeah so dan and i have a our our general habit when things are kind of normal, which is about this time of year, we'll 
we'll have dinner and then we'll sit and watch TV. And we have shows that we watch together and shows that I don't watch with Dan because he jokes that I, all I watch is sex and violence are both together. In so HBO is, <laughs> well, you know, pretty much, but um, I always know when I start, when we start something new, whether he's into it or not, because if he's not into it, he'll give it a fair go. Like he'll watch, usually it's a TV series. So he'll watch, you know, half of the first episode, but I can tell when he's not interested, the phone comes out and he's, you know, yeah. scrolling away. I'm like, well, this isn't for him. But that's part of the, that's part of the reason why I drag myself in the theater. The experience is much better when you're held socially hostage. Like, but is it really? Yeah, no, it is. It is a hundred percent. I'll give you, I'll give you a very good example. One of the best films I saw in 2022 was this uh, Spanish. Um, I don't know. It, it was like Spanish, Germany, Britain, uh, America. Like it was this massive, massive co-production. Uh, Albert Sarah's Pacifiction, and it's three hours long. It's you never know what's going on in this movie. Like it, it has the bare bones of a, of a like espionage thriller, but it's told in a very esoteric art house kind of. So it's an way. Albert Serra movie. It's an Albert Serra movie. Although I would argue it's not a period piece and it, it, you know, it's not like, you know, the three wise men in black and white trekking through the Spanish countryside or something. It, it's, it's a legit, like it, it's a genre film uh, told in a way that is not typical, but the runtime is punishing. And I can't imagine, I mean, he commented, cause I, this was at TIFF. He commented there as the director, like nobody would watch this on a streaming service. Like he, he, by the way, if you ever get a chance to, to do a Q and a with Albert Sarah, few people, maybe Steve McQueen, maybe, um, uh, I don't know. There's very few directors that, can be like, I'm just going to scorch the earth with my opinions in the middle of this Q&A. So, yeah, he had things to say about that. And he had freely admitted, like, this is a hard movie. Like, I, I don't I don't like when you know even what's going on. By the time the movie's over, you still don't know what's going on. You just vaguely know what's going on, which for me is delightful. But I must admit, it's the phone would come out. If I was watching a screener of this, the phone would come out. I would be Dan. Like the phone, and and I consider it in my top two films of the year, <laughs> and so that's the. I mean, it's a, it's an edge case, you know. You're not going to have this problem with RRR, which would be another film that I truly love this year, uh, because that movie is delivering for every second of that movie. It's delivering in some capacity entertainment. It is the most concentrated amount of entertainment in one movie that I've seen in a decade. Uh, so, but so the phone wouldn't come out for that movie, but the other one, which I, which I deeply love. Um, and I, I would say all of the films that I really loved this year, with the exception of that one are pretty difficult films. Um, even when they're like violent and action, like uh, Robert Eggers, the Northman, which I think is really underrated um, and just kind of disappeared uh, from the cinemas, but it's, that's a difficult film. It asks of you a lot. Uh, it doesn't, it delivers what you think it's going to deliver, but in no way, the way that you think it will deliver. And it really upends your expectations of you walk out kind of confused 
about everything when you watch that movie. <laughs> so uh, in a good way. But I'm saying that that's another movie maybe uh, that I don't know how that would play on streaming because it's it's tricky and uh, um, it's not fun. I, I, I no, And movies don't necessarily like, fun movies are great, but movies don't have to be fun to be great. Right. Well, I have a rule with myself, and this is just a personal thing that I've discovered over the years of being at home and consuming entertainment. When I sit down to watch something that I like, I've actively selected something to watch and I haven't just scrolled through and like, I need something to watch and just pick something. I leave my phone in the other room. I'm like, if somebody really needs to get a hold of me, they can call me. It will ring. But I literally, I leave my phone in the bedroom. The living room is all the way on the other side of the house. I just don't even take my phone with me. That's some discipline. Sight, I don't look at it. But I, then I know when Dan picks something up, I'm like, okay, so he's clearly not enjoying it. And half the time he'll fall asleep anyways. So I don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> this was a soporific. It's cheaper than Valium. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. At this point. <laughs> so like we started watching, we watched Foundation and he, we both really, really enjoyed it. And I'm like, well, I'm still kind of in the sci-fi kick. Let's watch the peripheral. And I think we watched two episodes the first night. And the second day when we picked it up, Dan literally fell asleep five minutes in. And I'm like, well, this is not for him. So I finished it with him. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I, I think there's no question, though, at least for me, and I would bet most people, most people do not put their phone in the no. other room. That's good good on you for that. I would never do that because I'd start shaking like this as soon as I don't have it. Um, really? And you're Gen X. Like I, I. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't go anywhere. I literally don't walk into any room. I don't go anywhere without my phone, period. <laughs> Other than the shower. And even then it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do agree, Kurt. I There's always a certain level of engagement when you're in the theater you don't have a choice you have to i mean unless you're an asshole you can pull out your phone but i put my phone away and i am socially restrained like you're you're a socially responsible human not all are but you are so therefore you're keeping for sure like i watched tar in the theater i think it's it's my second favorite movie of the year if i had watched that at home i probably would still love it I would still love it, but I would definitely have pulled out my phone a few times for whatever reason. Such a good example. Or or um, Caché, if we're going back 15 years, uh, Caché or um, uh, you know, basically any Michael Haneke film. Uh, they're, 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 those movies have punctuations of violence and their themes are usually fairly easy. You know what a, the film's about. They're not hard. Um but they're the, the way they're structured are kind of a lean in kind of like listen a little closer kind of film as opposed to, you know, coming at you um, kind of movie. And Tar is definitely like that. But then there's the opposite end of the spectrum too, right? I watched Barbarian on HBO and just was glued oh, okay. to the TV. Yeah, okay. You know, like I, that was the fastest <laughs> 100 minutes or whatever I had all year. I, I think the director himself didn't know where that movie was going. I, I I don't fault the results. I had a great time with that movie in the theater, but it, it it kind of hit that spot where while I was watching it, I was completely into that movie. But then mm-hmm. thinking about it a little bit after, I'm like, was that the first draft of that movie that they just got Disney money and 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 you know because. The structure, the filming, the acting, the, particularly the first act, 
are amazing, are truly amazing. And even when it gets ridiculous, it never stops looking great. But I'm like, there's a point where you're, you have to accept that this is operating 100% on screenwriter logic and not at all <laughs> on even movie logic. Like it, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of too many movies that go off the rails like that, but still feel like a complete package. I guess the other one would have been another horror movie this year. The one with the, um, the one that just felt like Stephen King should sue them. Uh, cause it was like a remake of the dark half just as an action movie. I can't remember what it was called with the girl with the twin in the back of her head. Oh, I haven't seen that. It was James Wan. Um, I, I can't oh, think of it. Yeah, I did see that. It has a weird title too. I yeah. actually thought that that was fun because it was. Oh, that movie's stupid. Don't get me wrong. That movie is great. Especially it, that second half is. It's it's insulting to anybody that puts one sentence after another. But as a as a visual. Oh, malignant. That malignant, movie's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I loved that but movie. A, but as a audio visual, like jet engine that movie is amazing like i it, it was it justin lynn that directed it no it was james wan james, james wan yeah. so he's done fast and furious movies right no he's the saw guy yeah he's the saw guy right Stuff and he, did he do like the conjuring and insidious did, yeah. and stuff like that right 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 so anyway i i was like again that and barbarian are, are kind of like both ends of the year uh and they both they're different movies, obviously, but they both have the we are going to give you um, an experience rather than like something logical, which is fine. With Barbarian, I, I I agree. Like it was number two on my movie list of the year. And then it went like this. Oh, you can't. People can't see me. But it went every like month or so. It slipped and then it slipped because I got to thinking like it was such a wonderful first time experience. And I would maybe watch it again, just but it's not going to be the same. Right, right, right. It'll right. the rewatchability of that is just not there. Good, I don't think. I think it came out this year. It played on the festival circuit um, in twenty twenty one, but it it it. Uh, I think it uh, popped up on streaming services and whatever this year. While we're on cheap, awful, terrible horror movies, um, there's a movie called Dashcam. Oh, I like Dashcam. It's it's lovely. I love the movie, but oh my god, it is it ever a double barrel of stupid experience like it is but i mean it, it's just because the main character is so unlikable it, it is like a non-stop liberal trigger warning that movie with zombies <laughs> and and i mean he had another movie which was all about uh like chat i think it's called chat room okay they came out almost at the same time and it's also really stupidly like ridiculous, but also a lot of fun. But but it has that like where where are they going next with this? Like, will it? Both of those films, all three of those films, have this thing that I don't think you see in theater, and you don't see it in novels. You see it in music, but escalation. Like the movie starts so small, and the stakes are so low, and by the end of the movie, you're like, oh yeah. We were just going to our Airbnb at the beginning of this movie. Like it is so crazy. By the time you're done this movie, uh, how how far you've come in, you know the the experience of it. I, I give points for that. Uh, even though, yeah, they all feel like first drafts. They really 
they really do like uh, um it's weird because when a non low budget horror movie does it basically every jj abrams movie ever made it's obnoxious to the, to the point of toxic to me like just it's like insulting you had all this money you had all these resources clearly you got casting right and but you couldn't like work on the story these things are years in production couldn't someone have read this over <laughs> i'm much more forgiving in the scrappy little horror space than i am in like star trek or star wars reboots or or super eight or whatever um you know that, that's kind of the thing that i liked about the fablemans is that it felt like really well written like it, it, it okay it it rams it down your throat like it, it it makes sure like a sermon like no one at the everyone gets it the slowest person will get this movie that doesn't diminish it though it's still uh i still love it for the fact that it's a cohesive story with ideas and themes and they all come together and it never loses its sense of like right down to that final tilt of the camera like it, it never loses its sense of cinema no matter how old it gets it's still working you know like that to me is that i didn't see the sam mendes one um empire of light which was another cinema centric movie um but the fablemans really did I, th I think the Fablements has more in, for me at least, has more in common with Babylon as far as the movie about movies. And I fucking hated Babylon. Okay. I wish I could have an opinion on this. I haven't seen it yet. So I, I, I can't begin to even like fathom where anybody thought this was a good idea. Like, for, did you think it was a good idea? Oh, I love Babylon. You, oh, sir, yeah. in the back, tell us. <laughs> it starts off and I'm like, what is happening? This is like batshit crazy. And then I don't, I don't know. It doesn't go back to that until like the final, like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And by that point, I just didn't fucking care. Cause it's long, right? It's long. It's long. And it is a mess. Like Kurt's going to love it. I guarantee. I can almost guarantee you. Kurt. I've had so many people tell me that I will love it. But at the same point, I have to come back and say, I don't like any of Damien. I, I, I don't either. I'm okay with first man. But I did not like Whiplash and I did not like La La Land. So, and this feels a lot more like those two, Babylon, I mean, than First Man. So, uh, um, no, but I, because I, I, I don't like Damien Chazelle either. Well, I like Whiplash, but, but I, I'm generally not a huge Damien Chazelle fan. And this is, I, I, I'm excited to see it. I just haven't found a chance to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, Babylon and White Noise were the two movies this year that I was like, I expected better and I was, Greatly disappointed by both. <laughs> didn't care for either. And actually Glass Onion, which I didn't care for either. I'm that one person that didn't care for that. No, no, no. There's a there, I mean, Ryan Johnson, at least in the culture war, is a is a like a people have opinions on the Twitters. Uh so I, I like Glass Onion a fair bit, but I I don't think I, this might be a Prometheus thing, uh, where I feel like people, the people the criticisms people have of the movie come from not watching the movie according to the movie's rules. Like, you know, every movie, the first 10 minutes should teach you how to watch the movie. And Glass Onion, unlike even the previous Knives Out and and any other uh, sort of like Agatha Christie or whatever, it's so into like this is a party game. Like this is like they smashed the puzzle 
in the first 10 minutes. And even all of the complicated puzzles are, are solved in such a unengaged mocking, like the mom is sitting down or the party is on fire or, or whatever. Like the movie's trying to say like, this is not operating. It, it's kind of like, um, those horror movies like it's not operating on normal screenplay rules even though there's a lot of you know like whatever wheels spinning in in the movie uh so i if you treat it as one of those goofy have your friends over and do a it it could only end this way murder mystery party box like if you've ever done those they're they're pretty sloppy and they're pretty goofy and the characters have no dimension to them at all. Um, and nobody learns anything <laughs> um, like watching uh, Daniel Craig and Noah Segan, just like sitting down and having a beer at the end feels exactly how every murder mystery gathering ends, right? Everyone overacts and nothing is learned and it's not deep. Um, it's just like the end but, of the menu. Uh, I wish I haven't seen, but uh, yeah. So I, I, anyway, I, I, I find it. I don't know if that was your criticism of of. Uh, I don't mean to straw man you, but but I don't know if that was your criticism of Glass Onion or or. Uh... Perhaps I just didn't get it. I part of it was hype. I just I watched it and I was just bored. I mean, it was lovely to see Edward Norton, but I was just like, I just don't fucking care about any of these people. I just don't care about this mystery. Let's just get it over with. I mean, it looks great. And the, the best part for me is literally the dude that's just walking around the island with like beer. Yeah, Noah Segan, who's in all of Ryan Yeah, Johnson's like that movies. to me, that was like, okay, that guy's funny. But everything else is just kind of like, I hate all these people. But why? I just don't care. I, I didn't like, well, I liked it. I did like it. But my criticism of it is exactly what Kurt said. It's because it sort of plays with its own rules. And I, I, I could not express myself properly anywhere. I could not explain... I kept using the word, it's a cheat, it's a cop-out, it's like all these things. And that's that's harsh, because that's not what it is. I guess my, I had expectations of it being a whodunit also, and it's not. It's not like Death on the Nile or um, Murder on the Oriented Express, where you got to figure it out. Because A, like you said, it's kind of solved right away. But B, it keeps, it tells you all this stuff. I know, it doesn't give you the tools to right. solve it, itself. It tells yeah. you all this stuff, and then it says, well, actually, none of that really happened. It actually happened this way. And then you watch for 15 more minutes, and then it said, okay, well, none of that actually really happened the way we showed it to you. It actually happened like this. And then you're just like, well, okay. That's actually, believe it or not, if you've ever done those Max Haynes or other company, that's literally how they play like even the person who did it and and is told like y'all get your little booklet and you you kind of read what your character is and and you know what secrets you know of other people but even the person who did it doesn't know necessarily why they did it or like it doesn't give the actual characters enough of a tool set to take accountability for who they are it's a weird we do these all the time. And I always question like, why are we still doing these? Like they're so it, it's like a choose your own adventure where you don't get to choose. I, I mean, I do appreciate, I do appreciate like the writing. I mean, I can appreciate what Ryan Johnson is doing. And I, that's something that I've always liked about all of his work. I, I like his scripts. I just didn't really care for the final product. Yeah. And I, I wonder because the first one had like a fairly 
more subtle than 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 the like um tech billionaires are bastards uh like theme of the of the of the new one but the old one actually had a like a consideration knives out had a consideration of like where you you become a nice person when you're comfortable enough and then if you take people's comfort levels away they become racists or <laughs> assholes or whatever again and I feel there's some some actual insightful social commentary in Knives Out, which there is not really on any serious level in the second one. And maybe that's might that you know he's got a contract to do a bunch of these. Maybe that's how he keeps the thing, the idea fresh. Maybe the next one will have some whole new storytelling structure um, where he's not as you know, veneer or facile or, or, or whatever, as this one was. But I mean, if you enjoy it on the level of it being facile, it, 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 I think it, it plays better if, um, if, you know, but again, the movie teaches you that that's the intent and that, and I would argue the better movies will give you lifelines on how to watch the movie. Um, and if you violate your own, rules that's when people usually start to dislike your movie like if you i mean there's one sense that you said okay well it just wasn't to my taste but if if the if it was to your taste and you still didn't like it it's usually because the filmmaker started out with a set of rules and then taught you that this is the universe that you're in and then stopped obeying them and 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 that that's offensive right so i don't think glass onion does that i'm just saying um other movies uh, a lot of modern blockbusters do do that like that you you feel like oh okay this is where we are and then like why is this happening because you've said you know what i mean um this over here like the whatever the three rules of gremlins or whatever like just just stick to those rules please you you can bring it in the sequel maybe but um we we bring up modern blockbusters but before we go to blockbusters i have a question for both of you because this kind of came up in this conversation as well this choose your own adventure idea did either of you guys watch kaleidoscope that was one of the ones when I turned on Netflix, it popped up number one in the United States. And I was like, what is this? I've never heard of it. And I looked into it. So I haven't started it yet. I plan to try it. I'm, I've am i heard it's kind of eh, but I want to try it. Yeah, because the concept for that, I don't know if you're aware of what the conceit is here is like the first it's eight episodes long and the first six episodes will actually play randomly um so like the order that you watch them in might not be the order that somebody else watches them in and i mean you can manually select where you want to start right but the last two episodes will always be the last two episodes and it's a it's a heist it's a heist show so congratulations netflix you've recreated a 1991 cd i mean it's not the first time because i think they had another series there was a few pitches and they've had ones where it's like the story is crowdsourced and, and, and obviously there's um, I mean, black mirror did some things along those lines. Did yeah. There was not? a black mirror uh, episode where you literally choose your own adventure with your yeah. control. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess that, but then that's like, okay, for, for years there was concern and we're past that now that movies and television were getting blurry, but um, movies and video games may, cause you know, you think of the nineties and the early two thousands and the video game adaptations, they're, um, they're pretty clumsy. Right. But I've been told that the last of us is actually remains to be seen, <laughs> but I mean, 
when you look at the conversation, like, I don't know if it's out yet, but framing it, like, clearly there's buzz around it that it's not a dumb video game. It's not Doom with the Rock or any Uwe Boll film or, or um, you know, or even the Resident Evil movies. It's, it's, it's like, legit. I don't know if it'll turn out that way. Maybe they just have good I, I PR. Think it's been a really good couple of years for that. Because, I mean, uh, Andrew, I noticed you actually read the first three Foundation books. And, Kurt, I'm going to assume that you've probably read them as well. Yep, I have. I haven't seen the series. So but... I saw the series and then I was like, okay, well, let's read the books. And honestly, if I hadn't seen season one, I probably would have stopped at book one. It's a... It's an abstract very read. much like so. in, structurally, I mean yeah. structurally, not not content, but no, exactly. But I mean the fact that they've managed to get a cohesive story that's actually super engaging out of what I've read at least so far. I was like, okay, I'm impressed. And then of course there's the interview of the vampire uh series on AMC, which is shockingly amazing. Like it is legitimately well done and really good, and very far from the original content. Like as basically as far as you can get. And still call it Interview the Vampire. Like, it's basically just your characters and your large set pieces that are the same. It's the mood rather than yeah, the story. very much so. It's the mood and the characters, right? Like, they've captured well, I think, and right, that I, I have this fight with my daughter all the time. She she loves the MCU, but she also loves David Lynch. So, like, you got to, you know, they're two different storytelling forms. Um, and... She's like, I watch some things for the um for the story or the the filmmaking or or the just the the, the novel experience, but mostly this is her words, she watches things for the characters, which is so when she frames the MCU in, I like watching, I don't care what the characters are doing, I don't care what their challenges are. I like that I know these characters and I just regardless of how bad the stories that they're in it's they're still the actors are great and the characters are great like the characters are great um and so she will watch it's interesting i've i've never i just look at them and i'm like the filmmaking is like you know to quote paul newman extruded plastic dinguses like they're they're terrible right like they're from a filmmaking point of view they have moments of innovation and clearly the whole universe thing is innovative but uh from uh, watching them i i see less of that but i don't really care about the characters so i if i was to watch it from that frame point i i guess i can concede her point um on this and i think tv has always been that way right because you spend way more time with these characters um that's been my argument about fast and furious forever I started watching that in 2001. So am I going to miss Fast and Furious 10? I've spent literally half my life with these people. I want to continue to watch. I don't care what they're doing. I am invested in these people at this point. And maybe we were born too early, but like I feel Harry Potter, the films, the Harry Potter films are are the first franchise to 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 be that way it's like regardless of how far the filmmaking falls you have for me star wars doesn't have the books to begin with but for me coming into the star wars universe and coming into the harry potter universe feels exactly the same it's like this weird thing i don't fucking get like i just don't get it like i didn't grow up with it i don't have the history 
Okay. So you're, you're not coming at it from the point of this is how you love the thing. You're, you're like, this is how I'm indifferent to the thing. Yeah, pretty much. Cause I just don't care. Like I've tried, I can appreciate, like I did watch all the Harry Potter movies. I've seen them more than once. I have like three nieces in that age gap, age group that love the stuff. I, I can't like, I, I, I watch it. I'm like, okay, I can appreciate what's happening on screen and you know, yeah, that looks amazing, but I just, the story has does nothing for me. The characters do nothing for me. Star Wars, I feel the same. Like there's some new Star Wars thing out. I'm like, I just don't get it. I liked Andor, but because Andor is totally fucking different. Like the rest of it, I don't get. I'm with you on that. Like, I, I feel like I was in the camp of all in. Give me, this is like wishes that you have when you're younger that you, you know, monkey's paw level <laughs> regret. Um, like, oh, I wish there was a lot more content in this universe. And then I'm like, oh, that's the content. I tell you, though, Kurt. No, thanks. No, Kurt, you have to watch Andor. <laughs> Andor is legitimately. <laughs> no, no, no. That, 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 I agree. I, I've, 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 I, I believe you. I, I've read enough about the qualities of that particular series. And it, it seems to be the one that people ignored, which is weird, but, but it, it's its own. It's not Star Wars. That's it's, why. That's what it is. It's not Star Wars furthest away from all the other star wars story threads uh it's like a prequel of a prequel it's basically like it's way closer to like a world war it's like bridge of spies or a world war ii spy movie or cold war it's it's so not star wars at all like occasionally somebody pulls out a ray gun or whatever but yeah i'm i'm definitely going to get into that um while we're on the story of like weird popular movies that were probably based on a book but now are this potentially sprawling series like the interview with the vampire it's not the only one that the foundation is certainly another one but did either of you watch the mosquito coast or the um it was also picnic at hanging rock like they both of those movies that i do well they're both peter weir movies uh but um they both have, I haven't seen either of them, but if you have, I wanted to get your, like the Mosquito Coast, I, I love to death. I just, that movie surprises me every time. And uh, I, I just haven't got around to watching this, the show version of it, but is it, I guess they've been doing this since like MASH, where, where you know, you have your movie, which is a one-off, and then Buffy, I guess, is another one. Um, but is, are they either of these Peter Weir so now I need to admit that I haven't seen Mosquito Coast the film. Oh, okay. Um, but the series is really good. So, I mean, I don't know where it fits in. Sorry, you've seen the series, but not the film. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we literally saw the series. I was like, oh, what is Apple TV is weird. I forget. I ha- It's like yeah. Shutter. I forget I have it. And then every once in a while I log in and I'm like, add all of these things to my watch list that I want to watch. And then I'll spend like three months watching stuff and then I'll forget I have it again. But that was one of the ones we're getting better at that because there is some great stuff on Apple TV Plus. But um, Mosquito Coast was really, really good. We're waiting for season two. Give it to us now. I'm surprised, it, Kurt. You haven't. You didn't watch the Irma Vep series. Yeah, it's Apple Plus as well. I. It's HBO, no, I think. Yeah, HBO. Well, I don't have. Okay, so I don't have those, um, and I already have three. I don't watch. Um, so, I. Uh, it's kind of that, like, you know, your closet, like if you want to buy a new button down shirt or a new sweater, you got to throw one away. So I would have to cancel one of the other services. And I, and I, and, and maybe that's a thing of how people, maybe not, but how people will consume 
is like to say, look, I'm just going to sign up for Apple Plus for three months, you know, mow that lawn as much as I can and then cancel it. Because if you add it up all, if you're having them like everything at your beck and call, like everything at your fingertips, it's way more than the cable bill was in the 90s. If you had every like movie, Turner Classic Movies, Shutter, uh, BritBox, Netflix, Prime, like I mean, it's gonna get into the hundreds of dollars pretty fast. But yeah, I, I'm I'm I have a weird relationship with Apple Plus TV or whatever it's called, in that I don't have it. And I I never I did for a while because I upgraded one of my phones and it came with a, a a window, but when it left, it left and and I never so I'm like I saw the trailer for Foundation. I've seen, I'm aware of all these shows on Apple that would be completely for me, but I'm like, ah, there's again, it's a it's the cereal, the cereal aisle again, man. And I'm like, and that's like just the Cheerios section of the cereal aisle, like the nine different flavors of just the Cheerios brand. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, I told you when we, when we agreed to get together that this, a lot of this episode will be me saying, no, I haven't seen that. Well, and you're not wrong. Now that said, like I have almost all of the streaming services and I don't, I don't pay for almost any of them. So Amazon prime i get but i'm gonna get that anyway because i pay for amazon prime for the free shipping so yeah i'm gonna have that anyway netflix i steal the password from my parents um hulu and disney plus come with my cell phone package so i don't pay for those um the only one i pay for is hbo and shutter everything else is either comes with a package of some sort which are lifetime like those phone ones hulu and disney plus i asked the guy you're not going to cut me off in like 18 months and he's like nope as long as you're on this contract you will have those unless the services themselves scissors behind his back no no we're not gonna cut you off just just uh walk between the two towers there (laughs) there yeah so i just have all those things and i would like to just i don't know if anybody cares but i would make the case that hbo is far and away the best streaming service the the titles they have a huge chunk of the criterion movies which is why i don't subscribe to the criterion channel streaming or i would there's a ton of them on hbo also on hbo are just a ton of 80s and 90s stuff that i never got around to and i go oh this is on here oh this is on here um like tons of that content that i want to get into as well as the new stuff and hbo's prestige television is all on there yeah in my opinion, if if somebody put a gun to my head and said, pick one, it's not even close. HBO and, is and, and for me, my pick one, and I'm shocked to say this, would be Disney Plus. Because as soon as they added really? FX and all of the X-Fox material, it has become like for Canadians, because we can't get HBO, you have to get Crave, which oh, I think is like okay. some... Okay, that's yeah, it's some weird hybrid. Of- and and the, the, the platform that you get HBO on, like caps out at 720p or whatever like it is it is like wow you guys have really made it not yeah easy that's too for bad like I, that's, I didn't know station. that that's dumb yeah when it's hilarious to us that we can watch whatever new disney thing there is and then banshees on the same streaming platform well case in point the the best documentary that i saw uh last year was uh fire of love which is on Disney Plus, like it's it doesn't feel it's like a Nat Geo it's, it's, show. 
And it, yeah, exactly. Uh, it doesn't feel at all what you think of when you pull up the Disney interface where it's got like all the cartoon characters and it's like, which one do you want to watch? Just click whatever you want. But th- this is, uh, I mean, I didn't find it accidentally. I don't browse any of these services. I, I, I watch like, I have something I want to watch and then I just rapidly search across all the platforms until, uh, until I find uh, something. But um... in regards to that movie, along the lines of, you know, how there's Armageddon and Deep Impact or there's A Bug's Life and Ants or whatever, Werner Herzog also released a movie of same two characters, except it's Herzog doing the yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't see that one. I, I saw his, I saw his brain, um, his, there have been like five or six movies on those two volcanologists, the, because they're like, they were the, they were it. um, Michael Jordan and Serena Williams of that field. So, and they were a couple. So, uh, yeah, but so, yeah, but I did see the, the Herzog, uh, cause that guy's still pretty prolific. Um, I did see his like, uh, VR brain chemistry. It was okay. I, I find all of everything post encounters at the end of the earth is is fine but not particularly memorable it's like it's fine I, i'm happy that you collaborate with people like even the one that people lost their minds over in the philippines like with the uh, um i think he just produced it um uh act of seeing or act of looking or or whatever it was called about the two dictators um even that one was like, I, I get that a lot of people lost their mind, but it's okay. It's it's only okay. Well, in my opinion uh, <laughs> on those movies is I have them right next to each other in my list of the year. And not, not just because they legit are the same to me because oh, they're, they're like, they're just, they're the filmmakers. So it doesn't matter which one you watch. The filmmaker is, uh, what's their name? Their names, uh, craft. Like they're yeah. the film. So Werner Herzog doesn't have anything oh, they, to do they, with they, it. They, they, they do shoot all it's the footage. Insane. I haven't seen the Herzog one, but the, the other one is either news footage or, or their, their footage. footage. And the Herzog like, one's identical. It, it, uh, not identical. And, and it's, it's quite, it's quite astounding. Like given the circumstances of which they're filming it's insane. and whatever, how good it's the footage so good. is like the footage. It, and then there's a moment which uh, the, I, I can't remember the, filmmaker like the documentary filmmaker of of sarah something um where she cuts like the sequence of them on horseback to the good the bad and the ugly soundtrack and it's so it's like even playful like obviously they didn't cut that footage to that music but it feels like they could have okay and i got a huge like um uh you know what if uh what if steve zisso was like a like a like a romance movie instead of a midlife crisis movie right like it 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 really did feel like because they're shooting their own stuff and they're financing everything with like lecture tours and and whatever i'm like oh this is even though steve zissou's underwater and they're like at the top of a volcano spiritually i I felt uh uh, and the footage is so good like the footage is insane they're both like jacques cousteau fans like he he even wears the red hat and i know but that's the thing is it's of course you're going to get some pretty neat footage around a volcano but there's more to it than that i thought like the composition the way the film the way he uh you know deep fields some things and it it's 
it's amazing. He's a like a legit. And her filmmaker. her pictures, which are featured massively in that film as well, like because he shoots most of the video, she was shooting most of the still photography, and they do the the typical filmmaker thing. You know, you just cut to still images those images some of them are like you know in the scheme of things oh so it's some bubbles in mud but the photography is so next level um on that and then and then i think you know as someone who was just really came into photography from in the digital era because i couldn't afford the analog era even though we had a like a slr nikon um to see what she's capturing with those cameras on film under those circumstances is nothing. I, I know that they, they don't really foreground it because it's not a movie about videography or photography, but if you know those fields, it adds just a whole new level, kind of like the man on wire, like the documentary man on wire, when you realize how much of like a heist they had to set up before the act even started of them of him walking across the the tightrope or whatever like i love i wish there were i felt documentaries were building up to this point and then all the air went out of the balloon like this one felt like it would it would have came out with project nim and and man on wire and and um like just this incredible run of uh of great talk. but i'm like maybe if everything goes streaming and everything is on the platform people are going to watch television or fiction and like the documentary which always kind of had its home on television now is being crowded out by because did you guys see a lot of other good docs this year i, I, I thought i mean I, I saw a bunch of docs that i really really liked like i i really enjoyed uh good night opie which i thought was really spectacular I really like the one about the photographer. I've forgotten the name of it. It's, uh, the one about the photographer that took down the 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 drug. Oh right, the the the, the opioid yeah, crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that because I had, no, yeah, I had no idea where that was going, and I wasn't familiar with her work. And I thought, well, that's amazing. I really like that. Uh, Andy Timiner's new film I thought was really fantastic about assisted death. Um, so I mean, I did see some what I thought was some really great stuff. But it's to me like I've always just watched documentaries as part of everything else I watch. So I don't know. I don't really distinguish between it. But I thought Opie, I thought was kind of like on another level. I thought that was really, really good. Andrew, you know me, not super into documentaries. Oh right, that's documentary thing. Um, now obviously I'm biased here, but the the documentary on industrial light and magic, um, I thought was actually really good, and not just for like the like the star Wars stuff. Like there's some really interesting stuff about the, the technology and where it went and those people's lives and um, the careers that they had uh, like the backstory and their education and all that stuff. I thought it was actually really, really interesting. And then on top of it, yes, you get Phil Tippett moving ad ads and I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. I've never seen this before. Um, Did you he see his stop motion? Mad movie? God. Mad God? Mad, it's on yeah, Shutter. it is. I, I want to, I want to, for whatever reason, I didn't get it, get to it as part of my October list, but. Did either of you see uh, Lynch Oz, the um, Alexander Philippe doc? Cause it's, it's, um, 
so he did like me- the alien film and he did the exorcist film and he did the psycho film. And I think he did the people versus George Lucas. And there's a zombie one in there somewhere. I, I like this guy. Cause he gets, I didn't like the zombie one and I didn't like the people versus George Lucas, but then the psycho one I liked and, and then the exorcist one I liked even more. Like he gets better with every film and the Is Lynch, this the one when you say the, the psycho one is the one where they just, break down that 78 yeah, 52 yeah, I like yeah, that quite yeah, a bit yeah, yeah. so Lynch Oz is basically how filmmakers steal images from other filmmakers and how that makes films work I mean it starts off with boy there's a lot of Wizard of Oz in David Lynch's movies that's that's your opening point it's the title of the film uh but then it it starts to not only use the Wizard of Oz as this like moment for like everybody it doesn't matter whether you were alive when the movie came out it's just it's a movie that's hard to avoid it's a musical it's a children's film it's a big blockbuster it's 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 everything so people see it there's just by accident you can't avoid it and filmmakers love because it's so big to take images but then it it, it scales out way past that like of saying you know these filmmakers play with this image over and over again. It has nothing to do with Wizard of Oz. And it's just this, and the whole movie's told with clips. There's no no talking heads. Like there's chapters and a lot of familiar filmmakers are doing like essays inside of it, but it's all done like uh, room 237, which I guess would be the other end of the spectrum. Like, you know, film critics gone wild. Um, but th- they're structurally, they're both told entirely with film clips and what's it called again it's called um lynch slash oz it's quite good that was the other documentary i saw and it's on the other end because the filmmaker didn't have to shoot anything now it's an unholy exercise to in clip gathering to even begin like again serial aisle uh but the the results are extraordinary it is really one of the great docs that i saw this year and i like i said i i fell off the documentary um, is there is hot doc still going on up there okay. yep it totally is but uh, it, it's virtual it's been virtual i don't i don't do virtual very well so uh like i didn't do fantasia virtual very much and i i couldn't do I couldn't really, even though there was more opportunity, you could, you could do film festivals that I didn't even want to travel to because of the virtual. I just like that. Again, it feels like Netflix. So it's too easy. What do you mean? I can't get on a plane. Um, When I did TIFF, I didn't do TIFF this year, but I did TIFF last year uh, virtually. Right. And it was a fucking gong show because it was like the year, the movie you want to watch is only available in streaming window. But the timing on the streaming window is Eastern time and I'm Pacific and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I literally had a calendar with all like these pop-ups, like log in now, test everything because the movie starts in half an hour. Otherwise I'd missed bloody everything. That's how Fantasia did it. They just used much longer windows. They were like 70 hours and you could start it. Yeah, we're only going to have it on there for three days, but Three day, like if you can't figure out like a three day at your leisure, I'll tell you how I did use that TIFF like streaming, like press access window was I saw every movie in 2021 in person in the cinema at TIFF. However, some of them were scheduled really tight. So I remember I was in last night in Soho and I had to run over to uh, Earwig. 
And I wasn't sure I walked in a bit late and I wasn't sure how deep I was in the movie. So the moment the I had my laptop with me, the moment the movie was over, I went back out into the light box, like bar lounge. And I pulled out my laptop and I watched the opening credits of the movie because I had missed it. So that, that was the only, um, that was the only way I, I used it because I was scheduling uh, a little too tight, but um uh, yeah, uh, but I, I admit, like if you're in if you're in Montreal or or if you're in Strasbourg or in uh, you know uh, Buenos Aires, you could do TIFF if they gave you access, even if the portals were nothing that TIFF ever does is convenient. Like they they go out of their way. It's like a it's like a regional Eastern European train network. It's like you don't know which network you're on, and no one's gonna. You go to that window, and they tell you to go to that window. It's it's they delight in the bureaucracy. For like every other film festival on earth. No, because TIFF has resources, uh, and every other film festival does it because they're scrambling. I feel TIFF does it on purpose just to piss you off. Does it on purpose? Uh, I mean. If Matt Brown is listening to this podcast, he can come and shit on me because he works for Diff. Uh, but, but, but otherwise, uh, that's the way I feel sometimes, especially now that uh, a lot of the cinemas uh, in their network are assigned seating, which drives me nuts because I sit in a very particular place. So the fact that they're just going to plunk me somewhere and I can't pick where I want to see. And, and I'm thinking, like, what if I like my wife has a, a very acute perfume allergy like you know like if you're in a not in a festival movie because this they're often sold out but if you're in a regular movie theater and someone is wearing a cologne that might set her off we're like okay we'll move back 10 rows right like but you can't do that <laughs> or or even worse the uh one of the many hong sang su movies that came out this year um i can't even remember what it was called um but i had tickets to it and it was in a small theater but it was assigned seating and there was a couple in the theater when I walked in and we were the only three people and my assigned seat was right next to them. Like not like three seats over same aisle. Like, so you have a fully empty theater and then the three of us sitting, I'm like, sorry, I can't. And I moved down to the front like, or whatever, but I, don't you get to pick your assigned the, seat at least? No, not if it's a festival oh, I kind see. of yeah. like they assign it. Right? My argument, or if someone, is, I, I hate assigned yeah. seating as well. I'm one of those guys where I showed up 20 minutes early to get the seat that I wanted to. Right now, right, you can't right, do right. it. My argument for why I hate assigned seating is I'll buy tickets for something, and then um, you know somebody will say, "Oh, I want to come to that movie with you," and I'll say, "No, nah, right. you can, but you're, you're going to be like five yeah, rows back by yourself. So you can't yeah. just meet up. Yeah, with friends and if anymore. you meet up, this is." This is the issue. Again, other festivals have not adopted this. TIFF have like the perpetual assigned seating is like all of my TIFF is based on serendipity. Like I don't plan to meet anybody. I know I will. Um, And then if I meet someone in line or I'm walking down the line, I hang out with them in line and then it would be awful darn nice to sit with them and maybe find them to go for a drink after. But I can't do that because, Oh, I'm on the balcony and you're down here and, and yada, yada, yada. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's not, it's not the end of the world, but it's another element of you made this harder than it had to be like, stop delighting 
in like the Rube Goldberg, like I, we are not rats in a maze. We are moviegoers. Like it should not be a test of cognition before the movie starts. And one other, one other example, it's kind of like yours. I went and saw Hostels. That was a couple years ago. And you know, you can't, you, they show you the screen, you pick your seat. So I picked my seat. It was a good seat. And pretty much it was just like me and one other person. And I'm sitting there, uh, you know, getting through the trailers and stuff. And a couple comes in and they sit right next to me. And I'm like, the, the, the theater's empty. Really? These are the two seats. I get it. These are good seats. This is why I chose them. But right next to me? Are you kidding? It was just super weird. I don't like that either. I this is why I now always sit. If I have to go to a movie, I sit front row middle because nobody ever fucking sits down there no i'm in the seat nobody wants exactly let me like come on i don't have to deal with somebody's phone yeah i don't because if you're in the front you don't i don't care you guys you guys do what you want in the back i'm up here you know um back to docs really quick it's a cheat kind of but i i really enjoyed richard linklater's apollo 10 and a half which is guys i have a story (laughs) oh I talked to with Richard about the movie yesterday. It was like a highlight of my career. Um, yeah, I love that movie a lot. I watched it twice. Yeah, and I tuned in because I'm like, oh, this is about the Apollo moon landings. This is all about it. And then I turned it on, and it's that's actually the least interesting part. It's way more fun to watch the white kids in the suburbs go into the bolorama and playing ping pong on a, you know, stealing plywood so they can play ping pong and. It it falls in with the slacker days, the confused boyhood, and um, what's the baseball one that he made with the baseball players? Like that kind of phase of Linkletter's uh, career, right? Where he does that. Um, were you uh, were you talking to him in the context of Spark? Yeah, yeah. It, so we uh, talked about the making of the film because that's it's not rotoscope. The the animation technique they're using is more like Undone. If you guys watch that show on Amazon. Blue, I don't know what streaming, whatever streaming service it's on, but it's not really rotoscoped. So we were talking about a bit of technology, but it feels like every other Richard Linklater movie where it's just a bunch of people. But it's not rotoscoped. How do they do it? It's just like regular traditional. There's an entire 45 minute webinar on it. It's part rotoscoped (laughs) and part uh, like actually like artists. They call it um, two and a half D because they basically didn't use any 3D animation. They did everything the hard way. Um, because they wanted to hark back to the 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 old days where everything was hand drawn. So pretty much everything is hand drawn. But there's some really great stories about like them trying to like Astro World was this big thing in both of their lives that we talked to the animation supervisor as well, and how that scene was really hard to capture because there's no video of inside Astro World. So it's part memory and part reality. And- oh, right. Yeah. So it's like this uh your 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 rewritten brain it's a shared memory as opposed to an objective thing. yeah it's, it's yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. cool yeah until three days ago i didn't even know that movie existed that, and that's what i feel what 2021 and 2022 as a film landscape felt to me i'm like i feel like how did i not know about this um and i think it's because i'm not in bars with people and i'm not having like extended shoot the shits and 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 whatever kind of with people where you know i don't know these things and i typically don't obsess over these things but i know a lot of people that know a lot of things and it will come down to me in that way but i feel the pandemic 
whether it's psychological or whether it's like government policy or whatever it has been, it has rewritten the social rules to the point where I'm just lazy. I'm still going to the theater, like I said, the hard way, but my social side of thing is the pinnacle of unengaged and laziness. And that's a hundred percent on me. Uh, it's not like people aren't like I people say hey, we should get together and I and I try uh, and whatever, but I'm like, I don't know. Here's my movie going theatrical schedule. You know, if you come within a hundred meters of the theater, then sure. <laughs> there isn't surprisingly in this conversation where you know people are consuming stuff at their own rate and there's just so much to consume to the point where like half the time we don't even know that there's stuff from filmmakers we like and track that's well yeah like yeah if you're get if you're putting out like you know like a Corrieta or Nicholas Winding Ruffin or Richard Linkletter like these are filmmakers that under any normal circumstances I would be like marking the calendar you know but because there is no our date uh anymore then i i'm like well what do i but i mean there were still some movies that at if not year-round that certainly captured the conversation at the time they came out i mean uh for sure top gun was like this big yeah, fucking thing and everything everywhere all at once for yeah. sure i felt there was a there was a national conversation around those and and avatar um Although the Avatar conversation, it doesn't seem to be. No one tells me anything specific. I haven't seen Avatar, but no one tells me anything specific. They they're like, oh, it was surreal, or uh, it was so smooth, or or you know, it was like their technical conversations around Avatar. No one is like, uh, it made me feel this way, or you know, I felt you know, because the first one had all sorts of weird, like culty little conversations, like. Sigourney Weaver smoking or people that got Pandora withdrawal or like the, the other one had all these like little weird sidebars that were a result of it being the highest grossing or uh, be, by virtue of it being a cultural moment. And box office wise, I think it's fair to say that Avatar The Way of Water is also a cultural moment. It's up there, right? It's already in the top, whatever. So people are... Everybody is seeing it, but no one is talking about well, it. Well, I disagree. I think the conversations are still being had. They're just not in the framework that we, and I say we kind of like in this virtual room, are familiar with. Like the conversations are happening in other places and in other ways that are not as easy. Can you give me an example? Like, I... Well, you brought up the point of this. This goes along with your point of you don't know about these things coming out. I, I was trying to think, how do I know this stuff is coming out? And I think a lot of it is podcasts, um, like all the all the Avatar conversations that I overheard were all on other people's podcasts. So I think that's maybe part of it. Um, if you're not on Letterboxd, then obviously you're not going to see a lot. But do you commute? Like, what do you? Do you like light a candle and get a bottle of lotion before you watch a podcast or like, how do you consume podcasts? I've broken Marina. You can't see her. If, 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 but I'm like, usually the podcast was the great multitasking. I'm, I'm like, I'm doing a road trip or I'm on the bus or the train or. Well, I, I work from home. So I'm just quiet in my it's room. On Muzak. The huh? It's Muzak. Like while you're working. 
Like it's it's playing in the background. Yeah, I have while my you're earbuds working? on, and okay. or I listen to it while I'm in the shower. Um, you know, I have my little Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom. That's that's a prime podcasting place. Uh, yeah, and and when I'm in the car, if I have to run to Target for something, or I'm on my way to work once a week, you just seamlessly have the phone deliver it to whatever speaker is better than the phone. I take it, like if you're in the car, or you're in the Bluetooth speaker, or whatever. And and what podcast? What podcast do you listen to? McNeil. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, McNeil and the Matinee. I listen to Cinerealists, of course, Film Junk. I still listen to those guys. Um, my new favorite is the Rewatchables on the Ringer Network. Um, they also have the Big Picture. Um, so I listen to, you know, I jump around. Okay. I mean, that right there is enough content just to fill your week, right? Because they're not short. And podcasts, they have full so. shows. Like, we're going to just talk about Avatar. All right. Well, buckle up. The, the two and a half hours of Avatar, I guess. Um, so that's, I think that's where I get that. And, and I mean, I don't listen to podcasts anymore because I basically don't commute anymore. And when I do, the last thing I right? Like the last thing I want to do is listen to people talking. I'd rather read to be totally honest, because that's another part of my brain I'd rather use. So I find that I'm not having that. I don't hear that conversation. So the conversations that I have when it comes to movies and entertainment in general is at home with family or with friends when I see them or when we get together, or it's, you know, work related. So, you know, we are doing like events where I'm talking to people about, you know, the making of something. So like I I do still have those conversations, but they're in smaller, different circles. That's why I always kind of feel like I'm out of the loop and I don't know what the new big thing is. Because you're organizing your own sphere. Thank, I, I should use this moment to thank you for the opportunity there with uh, Michael and Anthony around Tech and Kincrete. That was a, a lot of fun I, 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 to moderate that collection of stuff for for spark but yeah and that's so i i guess when you're doing it that way you're you're too focused to get the broad generalist so that's that's what makes you feel out of the loop because you're really focusing on two or three totally, things totally. Right? and so for me like i never really know and because i don't use social media the way maybe i used to like even five years ago like i'm not on twitter like, i don't think anybody does i really i really do feel that that whole space is in a constant state of Evolving. Yeah, like, so I'm, I'm to the point now where, you know, it really is very micro, like macro, I should say, like, I, it's very much like, who is in my circle? And who am I talking to? And what are what can we talk about that, you know, overlaps, like, even when I do the, the girls on pop episodes with Ashley, like, we have a list of stuff that we talk about a lot of the time, we don't talk about the same stuff, because we haven't watched the same stuff. But it's right. kind of how I learn about stuff. Because otherwise, I don't fucking know. And I don't watch commercials, even though we still have cable and we still watch stuff on TV. We fast forward through pretty much every commercial, unless it's animated, at which point I'm like, hold off. I need to watch this for work. But like, generally speaking, I don't like, I, unless it's a pop-up ad, I don't know about it. So like, for, but you know, it's, that doesn't mean that there isn't still stuff that, you know, permeates the conversation, like back to, Top Gun, back to the Batman, back to, you know, Avatar. I don't know if there was a Marvel movie this year. I, I guess Wakanda Forever. But I mean, those conversation windows feel like they're way smaller than they used to be. Like we used to talk about this stuff for, you know, until the next big release came. Well, the next big release used to be like next week. If you were talking about summer movie blockbusters, you'd have like literally a one week window where you would be like, this is the movie of the week. And then next week it'd be a new 
Right. Oh, that's certainly how our podcast was structured for pretty much 500 episodes. <laughs> was like, uh, something's coming out this week. Let's just pick one thing, and or maybe both, or maybe three, and talk about them. Um, and, and I'm certainly not ever going to be nostalgic for ads. Um, but I mean, I guess you're right. I don't. I watch trailers when I'm in the movie theater, and they show me trailers. Um, but I. You're right. I I guess without television and with on-demand commercial-free streaming, good things, I guess, uh, there isn't the same – unless you just let Netflix, like, sit there in the background, it'll spawn – it'll spawn ads. But, I mean – I just remembered, you know, like when I pull up YouTube – to, to search for whatever it is I'm going to YouTube to search for, I'll, I'll look at the homepage and quite often, oh, here's the new movie from A24. Oh, here's the new Ethan Hawke movie. Here's the new Joaquin Phoenix movie. I just realized that's how I find out about stuff because that's now. Knows me. That's, that's now. now. Okay. So maybe YouTube knows maybe me I better should... than Netflix knows me, I feel like. So if, if, I, if I stopped watching untold hours of urban planning and watch repair videos, then YouTube might show me some movie trailers. Because <laughs> that's what we do. Like literally every night after, if we're streaming something off, because we use our Xbox to basically stream everything before we go to bed. Because we're so, we're so like by the book. Like we start watching TV at like seven by 10 30 or 11. We're kind of like at the end of whatever it is we're going to watch. And then literally before we turn off the TV, it's like, what's new on YouTube? If there's movie trailers, that's what we watch for half an hour, and then we go to bed. Trailers in the truest sense of the word, at the end of your day, at the... But at the everyday, if we're streaming... Oh, you're like, okay, what's new in in coming soon? Because um, the only place I get awareness of other movies coming out, because I don't read movie content online much anymore. I read a lot of movie books. I read, like... Uh, you know, like I, I reread uh, Kayla's House of Psychotic Women. I reread Matt Brown's uh, Fury Road, Cinema of Survival. I read the Quentin Tarantino book that came out last year, which was him talking about a very few specific movies, but kind of the ecosystem of going to the movies in the 70s. It's good. It's a very good read. Uh, so I feel like I'm getting that itch scratched, but not in the way that it would have been eight, nine, ten years ago. Now the only time I get trailers is if I go to Lightbox for a regular release, because if they do Cinematech stuff, the logo comes on. And like if the movie starts at seven, at seven, you know, Paramount, 20th Century Fox, whatever logo comes up, boom. Um, If I watch new releases, I'll get a bit. And if I go to the Cineplex, which again is rare. Um, and then the rep cinema places are only giving trailers for whatever uh, they're going to be waiting. Well, yeah, but they almost screen nothing new. Like it's almost all massively curated. So it's great because, you know, you get to watch like a a novel because they have an in-house trailer cutter. Uh, So you get to watch a novel trailer for don't look now or, or, or whatever, um, before sunrise or something. Um, but uh, yeah, that's not the same as like being an informed customer. I still feel I spend a lot of money at the movies. You're, apparently, but... they're making it way harder and making you do more work to watch. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I so I, there's like there's a I I realized when when I was putting together my list for Screen Anarchy, 
when I was talking to you guys, I was talking to McNeil, um, and I and I and and a few other film nerds around Toronto that create lists and things. And I'm trying to put, and I'm going through, and I'm like, I have never had a year since I wrote about movies, which is since about 2001 or or so, um, or even the 90s. I've never had a year where I feel like, wow, I've missed half of the, even though I've seen over 150 films theatrically, it, a lot of them were older films and, and, or festival things that'll never see the light of day, like uh, around, you know, niche festivals and whatnot. I mean, I saw lots of great stuff. I, I at no point ever in the history of me watching movies, except maybe when I was like 10, did I ever think, I've seen everything like, or, or movies have gotten worse or whatever. No parts of the industry get worse and parts of the industry get better. But if you could only have the bandwidth to watch 5% or 2% of content, it's a bang year every year. Every year is amazing. I mean, you know, like maybe you don't get a 2007 or a 1972 or a 1982 uh, year where it's like, wow, even the, like wide swath stuff is at this elevated level. But if you're willing to, to like self curate or let someone else curate for you, every year is awesome. Every year is, every year is embarrassingly amazing. Yeah, I've never understood that. Oh, it's been a shitty year for movies. You clearly either haven't seen enough stuff or you're picking wrong because there's always good yeah, stuff. Yeah, you to just watch. picked poorly. And I'm like the worst cynic. I see the negative and everything. And, and, but that one, I'm, I'm pretty clear. Like I can't think of a year, even this year where I missed half of the big titles and several of the excellent, like consensus, excellent titles. And I still think it was an amazing, like everything that I saw this year, like if I boil it down to like, here's my movies, I want to hug. I can't get my arms around all of them. Like that's kind of awesome. And, but that's like, Weirdly, like every year. <laughs> I mean, that sounds anticlimactic to say that. But, I but, mean, uh, you said something that kind of blows my mind a little bit. You went to the movie, like to an actual theater, like 150 times. Yeah, no, no, it's not like, it's not like I went every other day, which is what that sounds like. It's like when I'm at festivals, I might be doing five in one day for a very concentrated period of time and then rep cinemas and then taking my kids uh, who are not kids anymore. Um, and, and yeah, but also no television and no streaming that frees up a lot of time. Right. Um, like I can yeah. honestly, I, like, I, I'm pretty sure I went to the movie theaters like a dozen times last year, like a dozen times would be, I think it's probably 10 is more accurate. Like that's how many times I went to an actual movie. And then four of those times, I went to see the same movie twice. Like I saw the Batman twice in theater and I saw Top Gun twice in theater. Wow. Okay. Cause I did see several weirdly. I did see, like I saw the Fablemans twice in the theater. I saw RRR twice in the theater. Uh, the, I saw several films twice in the theater, which is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I saw Pearl twice as well. Uh, excellent, by the way. I was really better than the X even. Uh, I, I like that little pair of movies. Because, um, I mean, there was only... I saw Pearl late in its run. And then X played at TIFF. So, or sorry, the other way around. So 
I, I mean, there was only like a month and a half between like the one movie and the next movie. I'm like, this is like all sequels should be like this, where you get them like screw the Dune method where you make half and we're like, oh, maybe we'll make the other half. Um, I want this model where, where they're made so tight together. But the that, reality that, that, that is they were practically... always going to make part two of Dune, which is what's fucking bloody like, but that they knew, they knew they were going to make part two. They're not going to leave it apart. I don't know if we've spoke about this, but uh, that was like a pretty anticipated movie for me. It was also a pretty disappointing movie for me, but I didn't know it was only half a movie when I Nobody did. When I'm watching the movie and I'm like, I know this story very well. I've read the book many times. I've seen the David Lynch movie many, too many times. Um, I know there's a point where I'm like, we can't do this. It's mathematically. Yeah, there's an hour left. <laughs> and I'm and like, we're not halfway. I'm like, how did nobody, like, this is my out of the loop thing. How did nobody tell me this? It was the same for everyone. <laughs> it was the same for everyone. Oh, okay, okay. No, like that pissed me off. Like that actually colored my screening like massively of that movie. I have other gripes with that movie, but the fact that I was like that, that it wasn't called Dune part one or whatever, like, um, you know, like SS Rajamuli, when he made Bahubali, like it's Bahubali, the beginning, that's the name of the movie. And then the second one, which came out like three or four years later, was called Bahubali, the conclusion. That is very accurate descriptions of, of that. You know, you're, you're not getting the whole movie if it's called the beginning. Unless it's Remo Williams, you know, they're, they're going to make more. Anyway. You do so. know that there's a third part to the X and Pearl. Like there is. Oh, yes, okay. I do. I stayed to the credits. I was. Uh, um, it's funny. I spent all of the 90s forcing my friend group to watch to the end of the credits. Just to sit there and in, not to read. You don't have to read the credits. Just sit there and decompress and let everyone get the, the hell out of the theater. And I used to always promise people. No, no, no. Because there's no IMDb back then, right? There's no, there's nothing, there's no, there's something at the end of the credits. Of course, you can only cry wolf so many times on that. Um, and for years, it, it was this endless joke of, is that a Kurt guarantee that there's going to be something at the credits? Because we're out of here. <laughs> See you at the bar. Um, but then now that then Marvel reconditioned everybody, and now I'm like, I don't care. I'll just watch it online. I don't need to see them eat shawarma at the end of the movie. Like, and now, so I'm the other guy. I'm the guy that's like, let's just go. Let's just, but yes, I did. I was told at least uh, by, um, uh, cause it was introduced. The, the film was introduced formally as opposed to just at a theater pearl. I mean, so I was told, no, no, there's something at the end. So I'm happy that they're going to, um, uh, yeah, and if you grew up in this is neither here nor there, but if you grew up in the '90s in Toronto, um, there was a Moses Nimer. He was like a TV mogul. He had his own like TV network, and he had like these television shows for bits of culture. So there was like fashion television, music television, movie television, and movie television always began with that animation song which is the song they use to tease the Boogie Nights third part of Pearl. So there was a little extra, like, I don't know, nostalgic oomph uh, for me for that. I, I'm all in on that. I, I like Ty West. I haven't liked all of his movies, uh, but I was blown away by how much I enjoyed both X and Pearl. Pearl even more. 
And I saw Pearl projected on the 10-story IMAX screen, which which felt like it wasn't formatted for that, of course, and whatever, but it felt because it was like this old technicolor vibe that it was playing like it was set at that time and it has this like small town girls gonna make good kind of attitude towards it even though it doesn't quite go that way uh and you know that going in if you've seen the other one but uh but it, it had that the, the opening credits have that sort of uh calligraphy 1930s 40s um style the whole movie feels like it should be seen in a movie palace which the imax the old real IMAX theater is like the last thing outside of like the music box in Chicago or, or the uh, Chinese theater in LA. There's, there's not many of these palaces left. The, the, the old school IMAX auditorium is like, what is all that we got left for that? So maybe I've talked too far about that movie, but. I I liked the, like my love for that movie stopped like 15 minutes in and now, and I was like, what the fuck? No thanks. Oh, because it were when 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 she mounts the scarecrow, you're like, okay, that's that's a that's a bridge too far. Yeah. Speaking of closing credits, that's probably my favorite closing credit sequence of the year. Of her just smiling into the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run and she just holds that creepy smile for like five minutes. She's just creepy in general. Like it plays really well to just her general vibe. I think she should be up for she won't, but I think she should be up for an Oscar for that. I didn't love that movie, but I I know, but her performance cuz she has that in a big showy filmmaker way, she has that scene with the other with her friend at the table where it's like this unbroken it's kind of like Nicole Kidman watching the opera in birth, like it's just going to hold the shot and i'm like ooh, that's good but she's always been great from uh like what's the claire denis film in high life and um uh that the gore verbinski uh the, which a movie that nobody saw but everybody should see it's really good the cure for wellness she's in that and she's in the new she's in the new cronenberg uh the new brandon cronenberg uh movie uh, infinity pool so, which looks um, just fucking crazy those posters and whatever they're they're really disturbing it's like you've it's like you've turned people's faces into tinfoil and then have extracted it off their skull it is it is something else um every year i feel like there is a breakout credit sequence opening credit sequence um was there any movie for you that has like just Yes, but not in the way Great. you mean. Tar. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tar with the opening credits, and you actually need to read them, and it gives you clues about where the movie's going. It actually, there's Tar is a great example of, of the movie teaching you how to watch the movie. It literally says its thesis. Like it, it, It's like the director walking in, although the screen is black, um walking in and explaining but that's okay you haven't seen the movie yet they're just giving you that i'm in we're, you're gonna wait <laughs> i'm in control here I, I i can tell you the opening credits of tar were done and i'm like this is going to be in my top three movies of the year just for the audacity of i'm the captain now <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> no that's a great that's a wonderful example um because again it's usually european art house films again go back to michael haneke or or whatever that do 
that sort of um ultra tiny font and they're just gonna punish you with like long breaks between the title cards like two seconds and then we'll give you more and then two more seconds and like but it, the music and everything it eases you in although i don't i don't recall i think tar is just silent at the beginning i yeah i can't remember i'm super excited to rewatch that the the 4k physical went out of print like immediately so i had a really what? hard time finding it yeah it's hard to find um i did I've got one on Amazon ordered, but it's not coming for like three months. Sorry, you mean like physical yeah, yeah, media yeah. version? Yeah. Of it. I collect. They probably just pressed a small run. It didn't exactly light the box office on fire, so um, it's long. It's difficult. It's it's uh, um, in, in another in another credit sequence way that you don't mean is um, like Avatar. I didn't whatever Avatar's Avatar. I'm not that big of a fan, but I love those big movies like that where at the end and it gets to special effects by and then the entire screen is names from left to right top to bottom for like a good two minutes of just white i love looking at no it's at the end but i i like that just mouth open look at all those words <laughs> if you watch the closing credits to my father's dragon on netflix which is the cartoon saloon animated film it legitimately goes on for almost a minute I, yeah, I love that. I don't know why I love that. I don't know any of these people. I don't care. Right, right. I just no, like the you're, you're talking volume here. It's not. Yeah, it's the spectacle of these credits. Are, like not the specifics. So Kurt, is um, there, they is just there one? You, is there one that I, I, I well, I posed that question poorly, I guess, because I, um, I put myself on the spot, and I'm, I'm usually, uh, like a huge sucker, um. For this sort of thing and i honestly think tv has been doing it better to me totally well tv's always done it well like I, that was always the conversation like you know if you watch um the wire or deadwood or or sopranos or whatever do you do you do you indulge yourself in the skip button or do you have to like watch that or like i hated the show true blood true blood yeah the, the vampire gothic uh show but i could watch those opening credits all day every episode of all three true detective series uh and and i'm really excited about the fourth series in iceland directed by uh tigers are not afraid uh is lopez i think her name is um i'm super excited uh about that but um i don't know i nothing really sticks up to me out to me to be totally honest no. other than pearl like i said at the end and tar at the beginning well, I, I did like Pearl's opening credits. Like, I, I did like the opening, like, Technicolor credits. That probably is my favorite sequence. Although I like the, um, uh, I like the RRR uh, credits partly because when I first saw it, like at the beginning of the year, um, uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be an endless series of chapters where they found words that have an R in them, like the story, the fire, the water. But then the title comes up after what, like 25 minutes of opening prologue. And if you watch a lot of the Telugu cinema, um, his opening credits are always funny because he, he tells you like all the animals that are not real in the movie because, and if someone smokes, there's a, there's a, like you could die. Like if you smoke PSA, these are all in the opening credits. This is, and then, and then they, they, 
have all of their partners like Spotify is our streaming partner. That's in the opening credits. Like they, they do credits unlike any other cinema I've ever seen. Like there's a lot of like, um, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of corporate stuff going on. Like I remember um, when Turbo Kid, which is this Canadian New Zealand co-production, clearly they, they struggled to get funding for this movie, which is a post-apocalyptic movie. And I, I I remember when that movie screened at Fantasia many years ago, the the sheer number of logo, like uh, funding logos, like to the point where the Fantasia audience being the Fantasia audience started clapping like every time. We don't want to watch the movie. We'll just watch logos for two hours. Like, and they're like 14, 15, 16, like that. That's kind of the vibe I got. And I've seen that more, by the way, um, more and more movies in the smaller independent space uh tend to have a lot more funding partners and and a lot of them are not film companies it's not like oh you know a24 and annapurna got together to make something or whatever those are legit film companies or whatever no this is like we got some money from denmark and we got some money from catalonia and we got some money from uruguay (laughs) it's like all these like film bodies that i guess the producers uh, have gone global and they're like, we will find money anywhere we can, like in whatever language, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, so that it's a weird way because usually I like, uh, like, you know, a stylized credit sequence, but I can tell you, um, I mean, Lightbox at the end of the year, because RRR was such a big success, they did a whole series on a lot of his films. So over Christmas, like we we saw all of his film, like all of his early films and everything. One after they're all three hours plus, of course, right? And they all have these incredibly, like every audience can't keep a straight face by the length and the what appears to as a regular moviegoer inanity of some of the credits. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when uh, who's is uh, Peter Strickland released uh, the Duke of Burgundy, he had um, perfume by like credit because it's funny it's funny to do that like i'm sure there isn't but i mean it's funny because just the style and everything but no everything in the in the uh, telugu is like real like it's not like there. no one's having fun with this this is an obligation everybody don't worry you'll get three and a half hours of movie after this but you're gonna sit through like four minutes of opening credits I think the most memorable for me was there was a there's a title card at the beginning of Women Talking, which says read something like this is a work of women's imagination or something, which really struck me. Um, and that movie like fucking broke me in every way imaginable. So that's that one's like stands out for sure. But it's not like stylishly, it's not. Yeah, because it's it's complicated. The marketing of women talking, it's like it's based on a true story, and there are elements but it because they're i don't know if they had a um who's the actor the the one male actor in the film uh uh he's q in the bond movies i think um he's like their stenographer because he's the only one that knows how to read him right i don't know if they had that person to get this so yeah they, they have to give you a title card to saying like this is an act of imagination around a concrete set of events um, it's neither here nor there. All movies are that. Um, like I, I, I can think of the first time I saw it. I think it was the um, 
Scarlet Letter, the 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 um Demi Moore Scarlet Letter, mid-90s. And 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 it said freely adapted from the scar from the Hawthorne novel. I'm like, ooh, now we're being honest. <laughs> because every movie is freely adapted. I mean, Starship Troopers would be like freely adapted in 180 degrees <laughs> from the point of the original novel, and it's still amazing. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's the the more progressive version of that title card. And you're right. That's the first time I've seen. I mean, usually if you go to see a restored movie, um, I saw this uh, restored um, black exploitation movie from Oakland, which is not typically where black exploitation would be shot, be Detroit or New York or Chicago. But this one was from Oakland and it was restored by, I, I don't know if it was Vinegar Syndrome or one of these small boutique things, but they 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 had like, you know, Criterion does this all, or Janice films or whatever, has like the notes of the restore. I always like that. Um, but yeah, this one is like, we tried really hard, but some of the elements were just beyond our abilities. So, you know, at the head of Real Six, you're on your own. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, yeah, I like that. Even though it, it, it draws the art of, artifice of like i'm about to watch a a movie or whatever it's still it makes it more personal and 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 whatnot or or you could go the other way and just weaponize it like the coen brothers did with fargo and just lie <laughs> based on a true story the most thing the most interesting thing i saw recently and i wish i could remember what it was in front of i want to say it was casino but i'm not 100 percent sure was when these things screen on tv now there's now a uh, like a, a a warning label and it used to be just like sex violence and whatever and now there's even something about you know how it's culturally from a time where certain things like homophobia was the thing that came up right right yeah yeah someone someone's gonna drop the n-word in this movie and you are gonna be you're gonna be upset about it um i noticed a lot of that this year like okay this movie has uh, a suicide attempt in it this movie has a rape in it this movie has a transgender person in it. There's flashing lights, like all these war trigger. Oh ones. no, I I totally get the strobe, the strobe thing. Like that should always be because someone could have a physiological. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying these things shouldn't be there. I'm just saying I that's something that's cropped up in the last like two years that was never there before. The most extreme version I've ever seen that. And again, not a criticism. I'm just factually telling you what happened so the review which is one of our rep cinemas um here had a screening of uh looking for mr goodbar the diane keaton movie in in the 70s and it's it's not an easy film to find it's not out on physical media outside of maybe a vhs or something so a lot of people hadn't seen the movie because it's just not a movie that um i was with mcneil and uh i think it screened on turner classics movies like once and he happened to have seen it then. Uh, but anyway, the programmer, uh, Brendan Ross, came out and said, you know, this is not normally the type of movie we screen. it. It's on brand with that series, but there is some rough stuff in this movie, like really, really rough stuff. And I don't want anybody to have an episode or ironically, he didn't mention the strobing lights, which are also in the movie. Uh, but, but he, he was just pure. And he, and this is what he said. He's like in the lobby, there is a collection of cue cards 
And if you think you're going to be triggered by the film in any way, shape, or form, you're a survivor, you're this, you're that, whatever, while we show the 18-minute trailer package, like in pre-show or whatever, you can physically go out, spoiler, read all the scenes and everything that happens in those scenes and decide whether or not you want to stay or whether that'll at least mentally prepare you. I'm like, I have never seen anything like that. And again, there's no criticism here. That's a, a, give people options, you know, give people options. But I, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. It's, it's a movie from the seventies. There were no rules in the seventies. People did whatever they want with major movie stars all the time. The, the seventies is just irreversible on loop. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and this was like every movie like you could go see a, you could go see a double bill of deep throat and taxi driver and inside taxi driver is deep throat like i mean come on <laughs> which is what makes that tarantino uh book fun because it's kind of that era right that era of i wasn't alive or i was alive for part of it but not Going to the movies. Yeah, that book is great. And it's just his experience with his stepfather or some random boyfriend of his mother. And this is what we talked about. I love it. I don't want to read I don't want to read autobiographies. I don't want to read biographies. But I will read, like again, like Kayla Janice's House of Psychotic Women, where she's mixing some autobiography with her journey through this subgenre of movies. Like that to me is the best, the best way to. Uh, and, you know, you can pick your battles if you're writing that book on how much you want to lean into personal stuff and how much you just want to create the space of, you know, everyone goes through these sorts of things and these movies can help or these movies can, you know, can be a, a grip or a lifeline or whatever. But, yeah, the looking for Mr. Goodbar was uh, uh, was next level. I I've, um, And I'm like, maybe you'll see more of that. Like, I mean. I guess nobody walks into a Serbian film or taxidermia or irreversible not knowing by accident. Yeah. You know um, what you're getting into generally with those. Yeah. But I could tell you, and and now I feel even, well, I, I don't think I felt bad when I did it, but uh, years ago uh, I, I used to always recommend movies to a friend of mine who I went to university with. We used to have watch parties and whatever. And I gave him my copy of, um, audition and i took it out of the dvd case because it's got the woman with the apron and the syringe and whatever and i'm like this is an unusual japanese family drama <laughs> right because i wanted to give him the full psycho experience where you don't know that janet lee exit the exits the film halfway or whatever um but i didn't what i didn't know is that he would take that disc and gather his in-laws <laughs> together and put that movie on and then and i still don't hear the end of it uh to that day and i i was at uh, a festival many years ago and i threw in it through a through a through his interpreter i got to uh tell uh, Takashi Miike that that um, some people may have encountered your movie <laughs> like this and he's like oh very good very good <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> he's very modest very he's not uh, he's a very like a uh, polite gentleman uh, so he's like he's very very good <laughs> so true story every year at Christmas we have like usually a family dinner and we'll usually watch a movie and the family now that we've got like three small kids walking running around 
we don't always watch the same movie. So the kids will go and watch something and then the adults will watch something else. Every year, there's always like a bit of a discussion, Marina, what are we going to watch this year? And of course, my dad had already seen Top Gun. So I'm like, well, what am I, what can everyone possibly? Yeah, what's the, uh, what's the, er, like general movie? Yeah. yeah so um, for a long time, it was seven on repeat every year at Christmas. Like the David Fincher seven. Excellent Christmas right? movie. That's what I said. But we a couple of years ago, we switched it up and now we just watch whatever the new big thing is that I think everyone will enjoy. We ended up watching of all the titles available. We watched Prey. I'm like, you know, we're all adults here. I think we could all probably sit through this and everybody seems to have a good time. So This is the Predator, like Predator movie. Yeah. And? General consensus was, hey, that was a lot of fun. I'm like, right? Like, you can't really go wrong. You have a woman cooking at, kicking ass and lots of action. Like, it's got to be kind of like pretty easy access for some of the family because they're not really, you know. Seven still feels risque. I very, mean, the movie's very fantastic. Risque. I mean, but we stopped doing that a number of years ago. My sister and I. There's a moment if you've seen the movie and no one's seen the movie where the, the whole sloth thing happens and i'm like you're at, at that point with your family like christmas cheer and your little red and white hats on and your ugly sweaters you're not watching the movie you're like how is uncle whatever going to like i know this scene is coming like i <laughs> well and even weirder because i find when you get a big crowd of people to watch a movie eh, no it's not like a movie theater no. like there's a bit of People are like, what are the kids doing? Like, there's a bit of like this, yeah. your headspace is in and out. Uh, it's not like it's in the background, but it's not the only thing going on. So it's even weirder if that kind of hits you in the side of the face as you're like. <laughs> but I mean, it's <laughs> always a challenge. Because it's always a chance. I'm like, what do I, like, do I not, do I keep something in my back pocket to share with the family at Christmas? Like, I don't know. I don't know. So this just kind of was like, okay, these are the choices. What haven't you seen? Okay, we're going to watch Prey. In light of these sorts of warnings in front of the film, I guess the whole point with the audition thing is like, woo, I was way off reservation. Like that is now, it was gauche then. It's positively outre now. <laughs> you know, like, oh, let's just watch Ir Irreversible. It's got, for at the time, France's two biggest movie stars, you know, and she's about to have a baby. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like they did the show the the Peter Gabriel Blueberry Hill scored shining trailer right before you whip on the on the shining or whatever, right? Like it's just a <laughs> it's just a night on the town, but some... it's, no, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that in this age of awareness and spoilers and and you know, there's only it's an, it's an ever-shrinking canon You, you can of... be guaranteed if the room is made up of mostly 25 to 30, like 25 and let's say 25 to 40, you can show them anything made between like 1970 and 1995 or 6. They haven't watched it. They, oh, wow. they haven't seen it. They don't know how it was made. They don't know anything about it. IMDb is this thing that nobody fucking knows how to use unless you're like into. Well, because they ruined it with the mobile version. And that's probably how most people are interacting with it. The mobile version of, of the IMDb is like it's actual punishment. It's like uh, I'm learning less. Yeah, no, it's quite honestly, like anytime I talk to anybody that's like between 20 and 40, it's like 
I can pretty much pick anything that was made between, you know, before 2007. And they probably haven't seen it. Even if it's like the biggest fucking blockbuster that came out that year. They haven't seen it. They just haven't seen it. Except, except for my kids who have been punished, 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 and punished. When they when they had like uh for the new year at, at Lightbox, they had the like uh uh their I can't remember, it's like Cine Cinematech series. It's not really a series, it's basically their rep cinema, classic cinema. So they have the huge like supercut, you know, singing in the rain, psycho, wizard of oz, uh, you know, blue velvet. Uh, in the mood for love, uh, you know, whatever grease sound of music. I'm like, I looked at that when I watched that little supercut, and it, again, it's foreign cinema because Tiff has to be like a little more hoity toity and whatever. Um, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I turned to Miranda and I'm like, how many of those? Like, and she's like, almost all of them. And I'm like, okay, my work here is done. You guys are, you guys are 20 now, you're on your own. But, uh, you know, but again, there's no way. But there's no way, even with their prolific and and I guess nerdily curated, um, uh, you know, we're gonna watch Dumbo and Heat. That's the double bill tonight. Um, <laughs> so, but I, but even then, you have to like live. Like I feel this way about the '50s and '60s. For some reason, I'm very well versed in the 1970s. I don't know why. But maybe because it's always been considered the like the best decade of American cinema. So you kind of go out of your way on VHS and whatever to back in the day to, to watch a lot of this stuff. But I feel like there's huge chunks in the 50s and 60s that are gr legit great movies, um, almost all of them starring Walter Matthau um, and, uh, you know, like Charlie Varick or something um, that I have not seen. And, uh, and I'm like, wow. And I consider myself like a pretty voracious movie goer, but yeah, it's like, there's, and that doesn't even count all the foreign cinema. Like, it's just like, there's no way. So I think the, the game is loaded when you make that statement, like that they haven't seen anything because that's a lot of content. There's too much content now. <laughs> Little, even even the top cut of of that but other, that's what it is they're only watching yeah. whatever the new thing is like they're nobody is bothering to... yeah but i felt that's the way i was as a kid i don't know when it but started like a, to when what, i'm like okay we got to go back no longer a kid like is it at 20 is it at 25 like at what age do you start to think okay well i don't know it depends on how much money you have the poorer you are the shorter your child is true too um <laughs> I just, I just kind of, it feels to me like this loss. There's like an entire, like, feel like I know from my experience that I'm with you. Like, if it was made before the '60s, probably there's a very good chance I most likely haven't seen it. Yeah, outside of 25 like super iconic titles. Yeah, but I mean, I still make the effort to watch stuff that's not brand new. But did you do that musically? Because you, you, you could, you could use the same logic around around music I almost right? listen to any new music even spot my spotify list every year is like you know one or two new albums or artists and everything else is old yeah but like old before your 20s old like like all some of it uh, because some of it i mean the the argument that's been going on and maybe this brings this whole thing full circle but the argument that's been going on for many years now is like when will going to the movies be dead and and maybe the answer is 
the literal answer, going to the movies as opposed to content, right? Um, and I just feel with um, YouTube and whatever TikTok involves into and um, all the streaming music and everything else that, I mean, maybe and and all the video game world and 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 other things, AR and VR are perpetually on the horizon. Uh, it's like, well, maybe there's just no reason um, for people to go back. Maybe maybe the medium, you know, just because it's peaked, it doesn't mean it's over, <laughs> right? But did it peak in 1999, 2007? Um, and now, now it's going to, you're still going to have another 50, 60, 70 years. And it's going to be, they're all going to be great years. They're all going to be amazing years, just like what we said, but I'm to the point now where I go to the movies, the thing I'm looking most forward to next year, give me the new Mission Impossible in the biggest fucking screen possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got your three, three to five. You're treating going to the movies how everyone else used to treat going to the movies. Like I see four movies a year. I see four movies a year and that's it. Now you're like, no, no, no. I only see specifically these four movies it's not that i go and see four it's like i go and see whatever like the dune conclusion uh i hope they just call it dune again like uh like peter gabriel having like three albums that are just called peter gabriel like it's just a mess with people um well i i'm with you completely on that i have my five movies now is a good time for my top gun it's not a super exciting story but so Top Gun is probably, yeah, it is on point. It's probably my most anticipated movie since episode one. So it's probably my most anticipated movie ever, essentially, outside of Star Wars. So like, I was super excited for this because Top Gun is awesome. Obviously, I grew up on it. I've seen it a million times. The trailers for Top Gun 2 look great. Um, early reviews are that it's great. It's Tom, it's Tom Cruise, so it's going to be great, right? So... I made, I bought my tickets a week and a week or two in advance at the big, big theater that we used to go to back in. Like, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be the biggest screen in Minnesota that's not IMAX. Like, it's a huge screen. Um, I'm. Is this the one they restored recently? No. (laughs) Clearly not, because that's part of the story. I haven't been there in a while. Excellent. Uh, So we get there, and first of all, I'm anticipating a pretty big crowd. There was like seven people there um, in this huge, but whatever, that's fine. I don't care. I'm there for the movie, Um, but it's clearly not the same theater. Like there's just shit in the hallways, like cardboard boxes are broken down and just laying in the hallways. Half their concessions are not even there. Um, Like it's just a remnant of what it was. Now, part of that's probably COVID, but also I think it's just maybe people aren't going to this theater, whatever. It was very run down. So we get in there. One of the speakers on the left side was kind of iffy. Um, so I'm like, eh, it's just, it's, it wasn't like buzzing or anything, but the volume was clearly lower on this side of the screen. So I'm like, well, whatever. Okay. The row behind me and two seats over were two older women, probably late fifties, I would say maybe early sixties chatting the whole way through this thing. Just, so the theater's run down, the, the presentation is not good, and then there's two women talking. 
and Tom Cruise is like at the other side of the universe going, just walk the fuck oh, away was, now. And I should have. And I'll tell you what. So before the final, like the third act where all the action stuff happens, I finally turned around and t- walked up to them and said, please stop talking. I would really appreciate it. And they did. But by that time, I was so mad. Yeah, yeah you're, the movie I was changed, so mad. Yep. And if it was any other movie, like, okay, whatever. This movie was kind of ruined for me. But this was like the movie I wanted to see so bad. And so not only am I mad at those women for like talking and ruining that experience for me. Every time I watch Top Gun now, I think of that and I'm mad again. Like I'm mad right now at that whole experience. <laughs> Um, I shouldn't laugh, but it, but I'm oh laughing. my god! I'm t- and then that was when I I remember coming home and just getting on social media everywhere I could and going, "That's it, I'm done going to movies. Fuck this." Google well, reviews, two yeah. ladies, two ladies. I see I'm on you. Reddit. I'm on Letterbox. I'm done. I'm gonna pirate everything. I got my TV with my schedule, and there's not two women talking. But and. and so did you go see women talking? Because uh, <laughs> if you had that double bill, then it would have worked out perfect. <laughs> Oh, this is what, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, I I still go to the the theater for a few things, but oh, I was so mad. And that, but did you did you do another like better theater? Nope. I got it on 4K, the physical disc, and I watched it on my home theater, and it's awesome. That movie is great. It was so much better the second. In fact, I didn't even remember like half of it because I was so mad sitting through the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've I've been there. I I know how you feel, but it's. I, I still did go to the movies, but in all reality, that that was kind of a, a bit of a gut check. Like, it was sort of the end of me going to movies as yeah, often. Yeah, this is like the, I'm broken now. Yeah, yeah, I'm broken now. Why why do I need to go endure this shit for forty bucks? You know, it was me and my wife for two tickets and a thing of popcorn and a couple of cokes. It's like forty bucks. I'm like, I can watch this for free at home on a really nice system. So why why endure this? Um, and and like I said, not only enduring um, like all the things that we've talked about, but just um, yeah. And and uh, do you think everyone will get there? Like, do you feel like um, I don't think so? I mean, I think I don't think everybody's going to get there because there's people that don't care anyways. They're just going to go to the movies to go to the movies. Cause it's something to do, right? Like, like you'd go, I don't need anything, but I'm going. Yeah. Shopping. But I think that there's, you know, there's like, I think that there's already a divide in the cinephile world of people like Andrew and I, where we're very selective about what we're going to spend our time and effort going to see at the theaters. And then there's people like you, Kurt, that will go and still regularly go to the movies. Like I love that going to the film and watching it with a friend or a group of people that I don't know when, cause there is like the, like when I watched Top Gun, we like, we went to the IMAX out in like the middle of nowhere, which is the only true IMAX screen in the lower mainland. Like it's a 40 minute drive to get there. We bought our tickets like two months in advance. Yeah, it was like a Detroit rock city of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and it was, it was super packed. It wasn't super comfortable because it was hot in there and like it was full. So, you know, there's people that you don't know sitting beside you and it was a little bit loud, but it was still that experience of seeing that on the big screen for the first time with all those people, there was still like, I genuinely got emotional. Like, I think I might've cried. Like it was, cause it was the first thing I think it might've been the second thing we went to see in theaters, but like, it was a like a genuine, like emotional reaction. But I mean, there's very few movies that I'd want to do that for. Like, 
the Batman was the first one that I saw theatrically in like two and a half years. My first trip to the movies was to see the Batman and there was like six of us in the theater. And I literally <laughs> cried. I literally cried during the credits, the opening credit sequence. I was like, oh my God. Oh, just because you're at the movies. I know what uh, in a lot of the festivals that I went to or whatever, like every festival would be like, oh, it's so glad to have everybody back. Like that was a like uh, for about 18 months. That was like <laughs> that was the thing. Like some festivals have been on twice and they're like, oh, we're glad everybody's back again. <laughs> um, but so you think and maybe you're maybe this is obvious, but you think because I don't know how the Batman did, but um, it did well, it's fine. Maverick and Avatar being the the two examples that I think of, of like, that's a blockbuster experience, Mission Impossible, anything like Tom Cruise's Paramount land where they just let him do stuff. Um, and then Avatar, you think that all the money is just going to funnel into that? And then yeah, like that the, and MCU, the, uh, that and just, you know, MCU movies. Right. MCU's its own animal because like, and you could throw all of Disney, like just forget about MCU, all of Disney. So although no one went and saw Strange Worlds, but uh, for the most part, they, their massive IP harvesting that they've done, they, they'll they get people out to the theater. But like, who's going to see Hell or High Water or, or even like Hellboy 2. All my movies will have hell in the title for some reason. Uh, from hell. Uh, you know, who are going to go see these mid-sized, even if they're superhero movies or whatever, even something like Pacific Rim on the Del Toro thing, which is kind of a big movie, but it's not big in the same way that a Mission Impossible or a, or a Star Wars movies is. And, and I guess, I think your point is made with all of those people that would make those. Look at Taylor Sheridan, he's the he's the Yellowstone he's the franchise. Guy. Not just I, Yellowstone. I know, but he's got just like Paramount. three concurrent running. I don't know if he's like hands on all of them, but he's got they're they're all running at the same time. <laughs> like it's not like we did one and then oh we 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 want to do no. They're all happening at the same time. And honestly, Dan and I watch all of them. We just finished Tulsa King yesterday. It's great. Recommend it. So you're you're in the extended. Sure, Sheridan sure universe. it just happens um, that they're interesting like they're not all good like Yellowstone I think is still the epitome of greatness on that level right but, I mean, but also, the Sam Elliott and the and the Helen Mirren Harrison Ford that one ones is okay are, I mean 1923 is fine the other one that was the Sam Elliott one was not great we we watched it but but I mean Tulsa King is totally like on the opposite side it's like uh, Sylvester Stallone in Tulsa Oklahoma being a gangster in the middle of the West. And it's just kind of silly and fun, but it's still Tyler Sheridan. Oh, that's him too. Yeah. Wow. He is prolific. He gets around. Yeah. It's just him. Okay. I'm convinced except for Halo, because I don't think he did Halo, but whatever. And that's a film or that's a series. The series. They did a season. They never did make the, uh, what's his name? The South African guy. Blomkamp. They never did make his Halo. No, did they? I don't know what he's working on now. He's got something a brew um, at his studio here in town, but we don't know what it is. But we've I, I've gone totally off the rails. I have no idea where we started. With it. I we're we're far past the point of doing like a, a a top ten list or whatever. But are there any? I mean, we've talked about a few things, but are there any specific titles from the year that that you want to highlight or talk about? 
I'll give three weird ones because all all of mine are weird. Um, there, because again, I told you, I, I during the pandemic, I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole of watching people fix watches, like literally take them apart and put them back together. Um, and there is a really awesome. I think it's. I'm gonna say it's Swiss, but I don't think it's Swiss. Um, movie about politics romance and watchmaking all together it's called unrest but it's also in the same way that what was that uh Rami Malik Mr Robot like where it's all like violating the rule of thirds and photography and like just it's shot in such an un- and there's almost no actors in the film like the main characters are are actors but it's shot in a real even though it's set in like 1900 or something it's shot in a real watchmaking factory in modern day switzerland and all the people working are people working (laughs) like it's so it's such a weird it's something like soderbergh would do like where it's this weird hybrid of actors non-actors it's historical but there's no special effects the photography is exotic it's called unrest it is fantastic um and in, at the risk of going back and forth, I'll just go through all of mine and then you guys go through all yours. Um, the Dutch horror film Moloch is on Shudder. Um, it is unbelievably good. Um, it's like a movie about, uh, and the, this is real, you can Google it about like um, in medieval times or, you know, whatever, in, in certainly before the 20th century, that era of, Europe would put somebody on trial and they wouldn't burn them or hang them. They would just kill them and throw them in the swamp and the swamp perfectly preserves the bodies. So for decades, instead of like dinosaurs and Egyptians, people in the Netherlands just pull up bog bodies and they make a cabin in the woods movie around that concept that is so well-made and so trusting of its audience that half of the people I saw it with couldn't follow it because the movie is like, we are not, we, we trust that you can keep up. I know several people that are very smart people that feel that that's incompetence. I do not feel that way. I feel that that is like, we trust that you know how to watch movies. You'll get there. It's great. It's, it's kind of a twist, but it's it's, it's just M O L O C H. Oh yeah. 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 It's fantastic. And uh, if you have a really good sound system and you put your phone in the other room and and close all the doors, the movie sounds like the sound design in this movie is top shelf. And I don't even think it's that big of a budget. And the Netherlands is not exactly known for for horror film it just came out of it's not perfect there's a little bit of bloat in the movie that and whatever it does a couple things that yeah you're like oh i've seen that before but the full package is excellent um so uh and then yeah the other one uh the, the if i if i get three um the other one is uh pacifiction which i think everybody should see it's definitely in my top three um films of the year it's it's just uh um it's a three hour three hours of colonial 21st century colonial politics with possibly nuclear submarines um and and 
lots of stuff going on. There's no actors that you'd recognize unless you're French, uh, except for Sergei Lopez, for some reason, is, is the bartender who has no lines. And he's there. He's like, you feel like he's the sinister villain, but the movie never gets there. Like, you're like, why did you cast Sergei Lopez? Like, people know who he is. You know, it's like casting Michael Rooker as the ambulance driver in Sea of Love. It's like, you don't accidentally cast. They did in this movie. <laughs> There's no spoilers in this movie because you never know what's happening, ever. Um, it's it, it's actually the movie's great strength. It's because, no, because it's it reminds me of those two Olivier Assayas movies. Um, uh, what was the one about the anime porn? With um Gina Gershon and and uh the um the mom from Wonder Woman. Um I can't I, the, the name is escaping me now, and Boarding Gate, the Aja Argento Michael Madsen. They're definitely genre films, but they are told as far as humanly possible from any American notion of what a thriller heist movie is. It's got all the all the words are there, but the sentences aren't arranged in such a way that you're like, I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, and yeah, so like I said, Isaias is a master at this. All of his films um, feel like this. Uh, but um, yeah, so anyway, and I'm not a fan of, I've seen Albert Serra's three of his other films, and I don't like any of them. So I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that I even went into this one. And it was, uh, it was my favorite thing that I saw at, at at TIFF this year. It was absolutely my favorite uh, favorite festival movie that I saw. It was. It was I don't great. think I've seen any of his stuff. Looking at the his. Well, don't don't watch Birdsong. Don't watch the King Louis one. Like, don't don't don't. You just you'll hate yourself. Um, you'll hate yourself. You're like these are the movies that scare people away from film festivals. That that's what these movies are, and so is Passive Fiction. It's just Passive Fiction's also good. Um, <laughs> you know, Tar would be in that space. Tar has the benefit of having Kate Blanchett, so you you have some grounding. Like, oh, here's a major A-list star. Um, and if you're into German cinema, Nina Haas is the supporting character. I love her. Uh, but but it, it's also a challenging film. Like. I'm sure there's walkouts in Tar. I'm sure there was walkouts in screenings of Tar. And I, and if it was on streaming, people would just move on. So there you go. There's my three stretch titles. Uh, Andrew, do you have a couple? Uh, sure. I'm also. I mean, we said it's a great. It was a great year for movies, like always. But I, it was a really great year for movies. But it was a good year. There was a lot of good horror this year. Lots of good horror. Um, and one of those it made my top 10 is speak no evil um which is i think that's on shutter also and it's sort of like it kind of reminds me of force majeure in a little bit like i don't want to spoil it you're best off just kind of going in cold but it's basically about a couple um who goes on vacation have you seen this i've seen i saw i saw it on the um it's it's uh yes yeah it, it's all in the so this this is it mostly in the car? Like it's no a, no no no. Anyway, it's I, don't, a, I don't want to talk about it. With yeah, I won't spoil it, it at all. It's just the basic premise is that a couple goes on vacation um, with their with their son, and and they meet another couple from another country or 
another area and they kind of become friends um, over the course of this vacation. And, you know, before they part ways, the, the other couple says, Hey, you should come visit us uh, at, at our cottage at this, you know, where, wherever it is. is I, what is this Dutch Norwegian? Okay. Um, and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, people say that. And then we go home and you never actually do that. Well, like a month later, they get a letter. It says, Hey, come, you should come. And so they're like, fuck it, let's go. And then they go and things happen. And it's the most, it's the most uncomfortable I've been watching a movie in a long time. Like it, it's just, this isn't, this isn't people chasing each other with chainsaws and throat slitting. It's, it's just flat out uncomfortable. Like you can't believe this is happening. And um, it's, it's really something <laughs> I, I, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it. Cause that's the fun of it is seeing where it goes. Yeah, there were a lot of those. We, 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 at the beginning of this conversation, we ran through a bunch of them. There's been a lot of those movies. Like they're, they're just this, like, like, I used to have this whole thing where I, I don't care about spoilers. I, I just don't care if the movie's good. It's good. I don't care. But no, that, that is a, like, it's a small genre where that movie just has peak effectiveness because of, how hard it leans in on its premise and how, how deeper the hole is than you think. And that's how barbarian is. You should go well, into barbarian, barbarian literally because it's all about surprises. The of, nope. The poster of that movie is her at a staircase going yeah. down. And that movie is an ever increasing series of staircases going down. It's like, Oh, it's a good poster. It's very accurate. Even though it looks like the most boring generic. No, but for this movie, it's incredibly accurate. What's your other two? Uh, what, I, I didn't have this plan. So what would be two other ones? Uh, I know you aren't a fan, but also in the horror genre is men. Loved men. Loved okay. it. There are parts of that movie, like the last, I it must go on for 10 minutes. That whole rebirth thing was like the first couple of iterations. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can watch this anymore. It, I, I like I just cannot physically sit here and watch any more iterations of this. And then it just keeps going. And I'm like, this is either genius or the most like hammer the nail over. Are you sure you got this? Are you sure you got this? Let me just give it to you one more time. I think it's a kind of a head up the arse kind of situation. And I speak this with the greatest of love for Alex Garland. I've liked everything. I like I even like the beach which he wrote for Danny Boyle. Um, but uh, men, and, and it's no fault of men. It's the trailer guy. Uh, that movie's trailer is such a perfect encapsulation of what the movie is. I felt the movie gave me nothing. It, it gave me more, unquestionably, but it doesn't give me anything in the true sense of more. Like I got the, all the feelings, all of the intellectual concepts and everything from the trailer and and i was like it is one of the best trailers in the world of the year um but i i i never felt the movie gave me and i did not feel that way with ex machina annihilation you know 28 days later any any of his other things whether he's writer or or writer director um this is why i don't yeah. watch trailers kurt Unless I know nothing about the movie, but I went into this going, it's Alex Garland and it's Jesse Buckley. And I like the poster with the creepy guy. Um, and then the movie, like this is Neo, Neo folk horror. 
this is the sad part is that I feel I'd be right there with you. But I watched that trailer like 25 times because it just it's a masterclass of cutting a trailer. Like it's it's so and that and the uh, trailer for the uh, Tim Roth um uh uh Charlotte Gainsbourg thriller Sundown, which is also amazing. That trailer, it's cut like the little children trailer where it's all done with audio and just perfectly. So those two trailers, except Sundown, way more delivered. Like the, the trailer for Sundown, that's another rabbit hole movie. It just keeps going. And you're like, and that movie's 82 minutes long. Like that movie is the most lean, mean, art house, everything. Like it is, oh, that movie is, that was like, came out like January 5th or whatever of 2022. I saw it at, at TIFF the year before, but I went back to see it again because I was like, mm. but yeah, that, that also fits. That's the theme of 2022. That, that, that like um, bullet train of, 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 of plot, even if it's a, even if it's like a, a like a slow moving art house movie, like men or, or um, sundown, it still has that, like, where are we going? I just didn't like the fact that men didn't feel like it, 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 it went into that abstract sort of like space odyssey. Sort yeah, of I, I know I, I'm with you. I'm with you end. both on the on the final bit. It goes on a little bit long, but all of the everything leading up to that, all the vibe, all the backstory, all of the yeah, the psychological stuff uh, is so good. People blame Score. Danny Boyle on that. Like third act of every Danny Boyle movie sucked. It's no, it's it's the third act of all the ones that were written by Alex Garland. You weren't seeing that it's it's like Sunshine, 28 days later, like all the all those movies that you're like, well, I was 100% into that movie until that third no, that's just how it, devs even like the 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 um his TV series uh which is one of the few television that might have been two years ago but whatever um uh yeah yeah um God, there's so much like my top 30 is solid well, just so good throw stuff. a dart at something just pick something yeah. weird like something that's not uh well not horror um that nobody nobody talked about probably because i don't know it's it's too late but not for me mike judge was back this year with a little bit of beavis and butthead it was so funny it was so good but I, like i don't think anybody's talking about it because nobody under the age of yeah it's, me it's like are gonna care that's a long time between right. the previous movie and a real long time from the you're you, you can't go wrong with mike judge and he's even better when he's in the animated space it's so. great i never saw it but and i it's, guess i should and he and he totally tackles like he always does he tackles 2022 just the culture, like the culture of 2022 with Beavis and Butthead coming to the future um, and not understanding white privilege. Any, or the, well, because, well, they barely understood the them. decade yeah, they yeah. were in. Like, so, it's pretty great. So it's like they're already. <laughs> did you uh, I, I didn't manage to catch it, but I, I guess while we're on this subject before we go over to Marina is like, did you catch the Jackass? Movie oh, yeah, this year? it's great. And because they're all good, right? They're all. Every one of them is good, but you know what you're getting, but they're good. So this is the last one, or it, it felt like they're too old after this. So you're never too old to be stupid. No, but I mean to do, it's like Jackie Chan. If you look at 80s and 90s Jackie Chan versus 2000s, 2000 teens. Yeah, there's still Jackie Chan movies, but you know, 
drunken master and police story they are not i and i think i don't remember specifically but i remember jackass the new one is very a lot of the bits were movie themed like they were theming on i i can't remember specific movies but like the shining or pulp fiction or something like that they this is from that oh okay um i so it was it was a little bit even a little more fun just for someone like us just because they found a new way to do it and marina what's your so i'm looking at my top 10 and three that are in sort of not mainstream conversation not okay which is i think a hulu title uh with zoe deutsch uh which also tackles the whole um is it real if it's not on Instagram, but you can fake all of it too? So uh, Dutch plays this writer who pretends to be on a writer's retreat in Paris because she can basically fake all the pictures. And then turns out there's like a big explosion and everybody's like, are you okay? And she has no idea that it's happened. Oh. Yeah. And so there's this whole thing about like... So it is like force majeure again, like that sort of you, you, you entered into yeah. this world of lies and now you got to own exactly. it exactly and it, it it i think it does so and i mean she's such a great actress and anything she does and the movies don't always they're not always as good as she is i think this one actually is it just because it went directly to streaming i don't think people really pay much attention to it but i would say i would argue that that's actually like a super like a very good film that tackles some really interesting things um and then uh probably doesn't need any additional help but fresh i really like I thought that was oh yeah 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 I just I just watched that recently with uh, uh, my my daughter my daughter uh, said no 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 you'll like you'll like this and uh, and I wasn't into it right away I wasn't into it right away but uh, um, there was a couple things that they did in that film that I'm like okay this feels the beginning doesn't isn't very strong I I don't think at all Um, but I did like the back and forth. Oh, the only, my, my biggest criticism of that movie, it is uneven, but the biggest criticism is how just abrupt the end is like that end is even by modern movie standards, that ending feels like, okay, we're just going to stop. I mean, I get it. There's nothing plot like everybody's dead or whatever. <laughs> There's nothing, but it just felt like, wow, did that ever cut? You know, I guess the 80s and 90s always lean with all the police sirens coming and then the credits could roll while the cops were like, you know, breaking out, you know, Um, whereas this movie just. They're sitting there by the tree. She's barefoot. Roll credits. Pretty much is over. Um, Nothing more to see here. Go on. Yeah, it just it wasn't expected and really smart and funny. And I, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. And like I say, I think a lot of people have discovered it, but it was kind of like a big deal in the circles that I was did in. It, did it play theatrically? Because I, I, re- I do remember the poster for it because it, it, probably it had did. the like wrapped grocery store meat on the on the thing. And I'm like, okay, they also did this with taxidermia, but how many people have seen well, taxidermia? Yeah. So good on you. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So I was interested in the poster, but then the movie kind of got away. But then uh, my daughter was home from Guelph and she's like, uh, she she likes Sebastian yes, Stan a of lot. Course. So I think MCU, we're back excuse. to the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy her Lee. excuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was like, nah. Uh, but but I did enjoy it. Like, I, I, I was a whirlwind. Like, there were parts I didn't like, but that middle part is quite I strong. I agree as well. And for me, that was the best part of the movie. 
I like and I like that world. I actually would have liked to see that extend a little bit more. I would have liked, yeah, I want to see the John Wick totally cannibal totally. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because it really did feel like uh, you know, it had that. I mean, maybe that's what got me. And and maybe the movie was better off by not giving you that because it would it would turn into Cabin in the Woods and and, and it would be just terrible. The, uh, that um, was a theme that I sort of wanted to mention is the world of like elites. There was a bunch of like Triangle of Sadness, Glass Onion, The Menu, this. I know there was more. There was like a list of like 10 movies that were all Did about... you see the Gaelic? I don't think it was 2022. It might have been though. Did you see the Gaelic movie Feast? No. It's like, I, I, again, it's like these ultra rich people throwing a dinner party. And uh, it is, it's much smaller. Like there's only like six actors in the whole movie and it's in gaelic which is crazy I, like i mean how many movies like spoken language is gaelic uh it's fantastic it's like an eco horror but it, it also plays into the elite also the food thing um i guess the elite the food thing is always an easy one to lean into with elites because you know and there are a bunch of those this year so my last pick would be holy spider i don't know if either of you saw that I again liked all the posters for it. Um, Iranian. It's so it's like a, it's the serial killer movie you know, told in a way you've never seen before. Like you, the, all the beats are there. Like you recognize everything as something. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Funnels genres through other cultures, and you get the most. It's like fusion food, right? You get interesting things happening. It's it's so good, and it. Like the ending is surprising because you think you know what's going to happen. And it's from what, like, and I don't know, I don't know because I didn't see it with a, like in a full theater, but I have friends that saw it at VIF. Um, it was like full packed house and like people clap, like, you know, Iranian audiences, they get into the movies. Like there's a lot of talking. They watch movies differently than we do. And like at the end, she was like, no, it was full of people were clapping. They were cheering because and and in your mind you think well i know how the culture plays this i know how this is going to play out and then it's not what you think it just it surprises that every turn this movie is oh excellent it's so good i i again on the on the poster for that film you know that i don't even know if it was an official fargo poster where it was done in like that cross stitch kind of thing you know that poster well they did this the the this movie with like a persian rug like with the computer pixel computer rug. And I'm like that, that poster alone. And again, that movie is just, it, it didn't, it was hard to find, right? Like it wasn't so few things got wide releases and these movies don't have the publicity behind them. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a great reminder um, to, to, to chant that down. Um, there you go. Those are my three. And speaking of, letterbox tools and posters like now if you're a pro or maybe a patron member i don't remember what you have to be but anyway the paid version like we are you can change the poster for any time it shows up in somebody's list or if on your home page or whatever you can change the poster to which one you like oh because so you get to go you take a tour through some films have like this one does lots, has multiple lots of yeah. lots of marketing uh around it so um anyway um but yeah i all around really good year lots of good horror it was awesome like i said my top 30 is just solid so 
Yeah, I, I easily did a top 20. I'm sure I could do a top 30, but the top 20 was really easy. Just like, oh, just throw a bunch of titles out there. Which ones did I really, really like? So good year overall. And this has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice to touch base. Yeah, I I I, I miss this like a lot. <laughs> uh, although I don't feel like I have the time to do it, but at the same point, anytime the opportunity comes along, I'm I'm super happy because I don't as I said at the beginning, I don't have a lot of opportunity to like really talk movies. I do it with my daughter who's a buzz budding. I would have thought it might have been my son like when they were younger, but clearly it's gone the other way and so like Miranda's the one that like she'll come to me with things that she's seen. I was like, "Have you seen this?" and you know, trying to one up each other. That's where like fresh came out of or whatever. So outside of that and she's now off in university, I don't have that. I have a a coworker who um uh you know, hasn't been in Canada that long. And so she's been feeling her way around a lot of like Western cinema. And that's kind of fun because, you know, you get to see things through fresh eyes, but, but outside of those opportunities, like we used to do this multiple times a week, multiple times a week. When you, when you consider like uh, the, the, the movie club stuff. And then um, if we were popping into after the credits podcast or Marina was popping in over here and yeah. So um I mean, it it's super fun. I, to... I definitely miss the outlet. I don't miss the work. So I love it when like Laskowski or McNeil will reach out and go, do you want to be on a podcast? And I'll say, yeah, I'll talk. I'll show up and talk about movies for two hours, but then you're doing all the rest of it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's that is true. Like, I, uh, you can rose colored glasses it back it's so funny though because when we started doing this there there were many podcasts out there but there were in many ways few podcasts and the thing hadn't become like a viable career um let's be honest it's still not <laughs> well i mean no but i feel after after serial joe rogan like there, there's a bunch of people that are making extreme amounts of money and now every radio station and and um whatever is like yeah we it may not be a podcast in terms of like that's the point but they will super clip themselves into something that can be pulled off on spotify or 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 whatever platform apple whatever um so yeah it was kind of it was a good what we did 10 years you're still doing it it's been five years since we quit right andrew 2017 yeah yeah, doing the math. yeah he's doing the math yeah hey the math is on your ceiling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> queen's gambit looking up yeah 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 uh, <laughs> um but uh yeah yeah so i mean like i said I, i'll pop in every now and again and do something but uh I, I all of these opportunities are are just an absolute joy well consider the door always open so we will be coming back and doing more of this <laughs> probably not like three hours long <laughs> Is that well? That's what we that's did. What we that's, did. <laughs> um, this is a cinecast. Yeah, brevity is not and never has been our which strong is totally suit. Totally no. fine by me. I don't Kudos to anybody who's besides us three that that made it to the end here. Yeah. Uh, well, the lists the the lists of movies are at the end, and I didn't write them down. So. Uh, you can just find. Just link to my, my letterbox or or Kurt's got a screen anarchy list, don't you? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's easy to find. I don't have a specific list, but I like I but not published anywhere, but I can send it to you. Um if you if you want to put it in there. But if people wanted to reach out to you, like where do they find you even? Instagram only. Uh I, I'm I'm I don't do social media except for Instagram. And then it's only photos. Um, but I mean you can reach out. It is food, movie nerd stuff, and occasionally travel. Um, but uh yeah, it's at Triflick, but but it's locked. So you know, I may have to let you in through the front door. Andrew, where can folks get in touch with you? Uh, pretty much just Letterbox these days. Andrew underscore James, and I'm pretty pretty busy on there. So busy. I, I that's not the right word. I regular I spend time up- on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular uploader. It's fun to look around. It's really fun to look around. Guys, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for the time. It's really been a lot of fun to just geek out about movies. It feels like it's been forever. Likewise. Well, thank you for doing yeah. it. Thanks for your time. And we'll we'll do this again very soon. We won't wait till the end of the year. Maybe we'll touch base mid-year. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We'll see you all again soon. And thanks to everybody that listened right till the end. Cheers. Thank you.